Cool, cool. All right, well, we're live, and welcome everybody to a uh, <laughs> monstrously delayed spooky season episode. It's our Halloween special in what December, probably. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> just uh, think about it like the nightmare before Christmas. Perfect, um, perfect. Yeah, yeah, but we're not talking about that movie. Um, <laughs> Instead, we're going to be talking about. Martin and the Tenant. Uh, George yes. A. Romero's Martin, the uh, the uh, vampire movie, and The Tenant. 1977. Uh, yeah, 77. And The Tenant, Polanski's 76 uh, paranoid uh, apartment thriller. Um, mm-hmm. Also, one could say a uh, mummy movie. Um, <laughs> for that. In, yeah, I guess, yeah, to some degree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the movie's got a ton of mummy stuff going on. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, there's a portrait of a mummy on, on a wall, and there's, there's, yeah, there's hieroglyphics and stuff. There's stuff going on. So we got mm-hmm. one mummy. We got one vampire. We're ready for spooky season. So, Absolutely. Uh, what are we going to start with first here? Uh, let's start with The Tenant. Um, yeah, right. like you said, Roman, Roman Polanski's psychological thriller from 1976. Um, I guess we chose both of these movies, uh, one, because they're sort of like, they're not like really movies that get brought up when people talk about horror movies or spooky season movies. Um, but they both very much are freaky, mostly psychological, but also, you know, do have some pretty straight up horror elements. Like you said, this one kind of has mummies and Martin has a vampire thing going on, but we'll get to Martin. Um, plus these are both movies that I've never seen before. You had seen both of them and you recommended that I watch both of them and you felt that it might be interesting to pair them. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of, I had a bit of a theory of, of how these would kind of be paired and whatever and kind of watching them again. I don't know that that stands as the number one reason to pair them or anything, but I still think that they're, they're an interesting, (laughs) uh, an interesting conversation to have uh involving both of these movies so i think the mm-hmm, pairing will still sure. work out yeah um there's the, there is there is the very direct connection that they're both from the same time period you know released pretty much within a year uh yeah and they're both also yeah, and then, immigrant stories um significantly um which i think mm-hmm. is kind of the, the the main connection that i was drawing beforehand um it's just these are kind of these psychological horror you know, movies where we're kind of talking about immigration and domestication and that sort of, you know, fitting in with a modern world sort of stuff um, that they both have going on. Um, but Absolutely. they do it in very, very yeah. different ways. And I think that, but what's interesting though is that one of them totally chooses to do it through a vampire narrative and the other one does it through a, a mummy narrative, um, which, mm-hmm. you know, fits with this spooky season stuff. But. Absolutely. 
But yeah. So yeah, I mean, getting into the tenant, if we're going to view it as an immigrant experience, um, yeah, I definitely got that out of it. There's some pretty clear, you know, nods to the idea that it is an immigrant story. You know, for one, it's like very much about assimilation. You know, you have a character who. Uh, I guess he is from a different place, right? He's, like, living in France, but he's actually from Poland. Well, he's a French citizen. Um, um, yeah, and, yeah, they keep saying that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's got a Russian name. Um, and so mm-hmm. there's that thing of he's never quite, you know, the French that the other French are. And the other, the other thing that I think is weird and interesting about The Tenant is, obviously, this is The, the Tenant was based on a book. Um, a Roland Topor uh, book. He's a guy who also did um, Fantastic Planet. He wrote Fantastic Planet. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he's like a French surrealist 60s guy. Um, and basically, like, what's weird about the movie is that this is an American movie. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's taking place in France, and we're seeing this outsider who is Roman Polanski, I guess he's a Polish guy in France or whatever, but everybody else is speaking English, and he's kind of this, like, Frenchish outsider. Like, you know what I mean? There, there's this weird thing where it's not really... The book is talking about French French society and this outsider status of this sort of Russian immigrant guy. Um, whereas the movie is doing this all taking place in France, but with all of these people with American accents and, like... He is the one guy who has kind of the French-ish accent and stuff. So, so there's this weird thing that just doesn't quite gel. You know what I mean? It, it's 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 all mm-hmm. kind of on these barriers of this idea of immigration or language barriers or whatever. It, it's 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 a weird thing that exists on both sides of that, where we're watching a movie that takes sure, place sure. in France, but as Americans, we're watching it as the French because the French are speaking an American English, and so we see him ha- as the outsider because he has the accent, even though like they all should be speaking French and have, or at least have accents, and he should be. You know what I mean? That's it's a weird it's yeah. a weird translation thing, and it's interesting that that he chose to do it that way. Um, I mean, because he had made plenty of French movies, like, you know what I mean? He's made movies in Europe and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But he chose, like, at this point in his career, he was doing American movies. And so he translated the French, you know, I thought that was weird. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't I didn't do very much research on this movie. I kind of took, I mean, both of these movies, I kind of took them both uh, at face value and just interpreted them, you know, on their own terms and whatever. Um like yeah, I don't know as much. I don't know very much about the production, but I did find the ADR work in this movie to be insanely uh, distracting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, and I think and I and it's like one of those things where like I feel like it ends up working for the movie for exactly the reason you just said, but I don't know how intentional that is. Right. Because it kind of does just feel like a thing where it's like we're shooting a movie in France and we're using French actors, but we're making it for an American audience. So we have to redub all the French actors in, in, uh, with American actors so that like the Americans can understand what people are saying, essentially. Right, right. Um, and then and there's a thing where like the A-list actors like Polanski and the people you see most of the time, are, their ADR is much better. Like right. Roman's... ADR is near perfect. Right, right. Whereas, like, you start to get to the tertiary characters, and it's, like, horrifically bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. So it's really, really, like, all over the place. 
And I don't really know if that's by design, but it somehow kind of ends up working for the movie anyway. Right. It, it creates this weird, just said. this weird layer of surrealism and translation issues and stuff that everything mm-hmm. kind of exists on mm-hmm. these borders. And that's kind of connected to the idea of the Unheimlichkeit or whatever, the, the Freudian idea of the unhomely or the thing that is what you're... What, the idea of horror is this Freudian concept of something that exists on these barriers between one thing and another thing, and you can't quite d- describe which it is. It's like a dead body is both a human and an object, and that, like, the fact that it exists on that barrier line is something that makes us disgusted by it. You know what I mean? Um, so, and I, I think that this this movie totally, like totally exists on those barrier lines um Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and gives you this sort of bizarre unhomely sort of feeling of uh, unease you know what i mean that something's not quite right um we often we we talk about it as like the uncanny valley when we talk about like cgi or something but it's this idea that you're looking at something that you can't quite see as a real person, but you also can't quite see it as an object or you can't see it as a man or you see it as a woman or whatever. There are these things that when you, when they exist on these borderlines, there's something inside of us that Freud says, uh, creates a disgust, you know what I mean? Or a fear or something that inside you that tells you this is not what you think it is. You know what I mean? Don't trust this Mm -hmm. thing. Um, for sure. Um, and I think that's like, it's really interesting that that plays very deeply into a lot of what this movie does. I mean, it has um, like trans themes, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you think about like a, a trans person as being terrifying because you can't really pin down what they are, or furthermore, a non binary person or whatever, or like, you know, and then bringing in like the mummy themes and everything, like that's a dead the dead body that like becomes mummified and like preserved and like to try and like hold the form of what it once was, even though it's not and whatever. Exactly, um, exactly. It's a whole speech that he gives about the um, if you cut off my arm, it's me and my arm. If you cut off my legs, it's me and my arms and my legs. If you cut off my head, mm-hmm. is it me and my body or is it me and my head? And what is what right does my head have to call it myself and stuff? And then there's the tooth that gets removed and the part of himself. Exactly. That, so mm-hmm. He says, um, at what precise moment does an individual stop being who he thinks he is? Right, right. And what's really interesting is all of this dialogue is... Now, I read the English translation of the book obviously. Um, but all of this dialogue is exactly the dialogue in the English translation. Um, the movie like almost has no original dialogue. There's like so little Hmm. dialogue that was written for this movie. It's all taken directly out of the book. And like, even like, even like when he's, when he's talking in the mirror and he's like, Oh, goddess divine. Like, it's like, he uses the exact same, like, goddess divine whatever in those exact same really like i think orders. i'm pregnant yeah the I'm, i think i'm pregnant is something that he then repeats to himself in the mirror and it's a way that he like is practicing feminine phrases and this the utterance of these feminine phrases allows him to incorporate a femininity into this like thing that like you know what i mean so like those words are chosen in the book for a reason and in the movie the reason isn't really described um but it's the exact same words. And it's the same, like, through a lot, like, 
the entire movie is like it is the exact words of the book, but without the sort of explanation behind them, um, mm-hmm. which is which is interesting. Like you miss Tarkovsky's internal monologue in the movie, but the movie really gets across all of that like really well without any of the internal monologue. Um, just because the dialogue's so well chosen. Do you think the book makes a little bit more clear what the transition to to the female is? Because you know the movie, in a, in a more like superficial horror sense, the movie describes what's happening to him as something that's like being uh, kind of like um, forced upon him that like his neighbors are turning him queer essentially, or his neighbors are turning him into the previous tenant. They're turning him into Simone. Right. Um, and like whether or not the books make banks more clear that this really is a thing about transitioning or if like the gender aspect is actually kind of irrelevant. It really is more about the fact that he's just becoming the previous tenant who happens to be a woman or, if it's a thing about closeted homosexuality and that like he really is just that on the inside and now it's coming out or something. Um, right. So this is, this is one of the things that I think the book does really, really well. Um, and I think is really interesting in the book. And I also think is really interesting in the movie and the movie does really well, but in kind of different ways. So one of the things that the book really, I mean, we haven't even kind of gotten to one of the main themes, I think. Um, but I guess one of the biggest things in in the book, when he takes out his trash in the first place, remember in the movie, he's taking out the trash and he drops the stuff on the stairs mm-hmm. and the stuff's gone when he comes back, whatever. Well, in the book, when yeah. he's taking out his trash, there's this whole paragraph about like how when he takes out his trash and he opens the dumpster, he looks in the dumpster and he sees everybody else's trash and everybody else's trash is so neat and tidy. And when he puts his trash in there, it's so disgusting and like that he has this shame where he's like, I know that whoever comes and takes out this trash is going to see this and they're going to know that this trash was my trash because everybody else's trash is so much neater than my trash. And so like sometimes he like tries to mix his trash in with the other trash. And, but he's like, but I know that the person who comes and takes out the trash will still know that I had done this and like that I'm just trying to cover <laughs> it up. And he's just like got all this shame yeah, yeah. about like his trash and his living, which is an extension of the shame that he's having about making too much noise and making like all of these things where he's being mm-hmm. made to feel as if he needs to apologize for his mere existence. Um, and that sure. yeah. theme in the book continues like to like all of his thoughts about other people and in, including like sexuality. Eventually he starts talking about like there are these guys when he's, he's out there in the street, like kind of going crazy. He sees these people walking by and there's two guys who are hitting on this girl And, like, she walks away, then they all kind of, like, laugh to each other or whatever. And he's just, like, talking about, like, what is this virility thing? Like, how come we, like, in society think virility is so great? These people walking around with their pig dicks in their fucking trousers. If they, like, if they they really (laughs) wanted to be virile, they'd just be showing their dicks around or whatever. And, like, letting everybody smell their horrible, disgusting bodies. Why even cover that up or whatever? If you're such a virile person, like, you should have some shame. You should hide it. And you should, like, feel like this. Because, actually, this is so gross or whatever. And then later when he's like he's like so that's he's thinking that well he's like dressed as Simon Shu uh running around through the streets like going crazy but then later he's like no they had made me think that and what would, or actually while he was thinking that he was like what would somebody think if they were thinking my thoughts would they think I was gay because like I'm not gay it's just that I'm so disgusted by the ideas of sexuality and things or whatever it has nothing to do with being gay or whatever and then like mm-hmm. later he's thinking back on it and being like man it's so weird that I had all these 
gay thoughts about virility and so you know what I mean he's like they were the ones that were making me think that because really I'm so attracted to this girl and that was the virility is great and he's it's all this like internal monologue thing of him like punishing himself for thinking something and then not thinking and like it's all very shame based you know what I mean um and Mm -hmm. that shame does lead him to this sort of homosexuality stuff and trans stuff or whatever but at the same time like the reason in the book that he starts dressing as Simon Chou is like well first of all he wakes up just dressed as her and he's not and he's convinced that they dressed him as her that they came into his apartment Uh. and they dressed him and whatever and he's like this is fucking ridiculous and whatever and he takes off the clothes and then he's like no wait this, this is a conspiracy against me. They need to, like, think that I don't know about the conspiracy, so I'm going to be the most Simon Shoe that I could actually <laughs> ever be. So I'm going to dress up, and I'm going to put on the best makeup, and then I'm going to practice in the mirror to be really feminine and do the phases like, oh, goddess, divine. Ooh, I think I'm pregnant and whatever. And then he, like, really tries to incorporate... He's putting on a show for them because right. he knows they're watching. Right. Or, yeah, like, He's putting on a show he for them. thinks they're watching but, or whatever. But, like, he's also... <laughs> like he's putting out a show for them, but then he's also like, wait, why was I ever putting on a show for them? Actually, that doesn't make any sense. I like, if anything, me pretending to be Shimonshu makes them think that their like thing is working. And then I'm that much closer to being killed. So really now I should be the opposite. Now I should be the most Trolkovsky that I can be. And I'll go out and I'm going to order the c- proper thing. And I'm going to get the, and like, he tries to get his coffee, but they don't have the coffee. So then he gets the hot truck. Like, and he's trying to be him, but then he doesn't actually still want yeah, to be yeah, him. Yeah, now yeah. he actually does want the chocolate and not the coffee. And like, he goes out with his friends again. And he's like, the old Trotkovsky would have gotten this fish, but like, that just is so disgusting to me right now. So instead, I'm going to get what you know I want, which is the meat and the the uh, rare steak and the vegetables and whatever this Simon Chou would have liked. <laughs> and his friends notice that he's different. Yeah, and he's stuff lost and his taste for the little fishies. Weird, but it, it's all about like this transition that's happening and like him justifying it in all these different ways. Like you know what I mean? And it's all shame based. But it's like mm-hmm. he's either dressing up as Simon Chou because it's just a trick to trick them, or it's like. No, that's really how he wants to be. Like that, he really does want the hot chocolate and not the coffee. He really does want the Galois, not the. Or the, in in the movie, yeah, it's yeah. Marlboro and Galois, but in the book, it's Galois and I forget some other French company. But yeah, they the changed it. Is Galois blue? Galois blues and Marlboro reds. Yeah, yeah. It's, funny, it's a red blue thing. Oh, okay, yeah. that makes sense. Um, and in the in the movie, Simon Chou smokes. Marlboro Reds? Uh, yeah, yeah. I yeah, think the salesman says that's, that's another. She, that's, that's another that's one that's weird, always, too, right? I mean, because he literally, is, like, he, he's, he, uh, he sits in her seat, and he says this is, like, what she smoked and whatever. So it's, like, that, that scene, the first scene where he goes into the diner is interesting because, like, no one told him to sit in her seat. Right, right. right. He just did that naturally. And then they offer him like her cigarettes so it's like a both and thing of like yeah they're pushing the cigarettes on him but he also sat in his seat like willingly and whatever you know right so it's kind of the but i also think it's interesting that it's marlboro and galois because you've got the french cigarette and the american cigarette and in the movie he's Mm -hmm. he's like there's those borderline things where you would think that this is a movie about okay he's the Russian immigrant, so he would be smoking some Russian cigarettes, and then he's switching to the French way, and he's smoking the Galoises or something. Um, but yeah, instead, yeah. it's like, no, he used to smoke Galoises, the French ones, but now that he's, like, the immigrant in France, he's smoking the Marlboros. So it's like, it, it all just, like, doesn't add up. Like, it kind of, it's a weird, just yeah. like the people in France speaking English, like, the people in France smoking Marlboros, like, it's... 
it doesn't fit. But I think that's part of it. That yeah, it, yeah, you're right. And that goes back to what you were saying about the language and everything and, and what I was saying about the ADR. And, yeah, the choice to have it be American cigarettes is weird and interesting. Um, and for that to be what Simone smoked. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess it sounds to me like the book holds the ambiguity as much as the movie does about until the sexuality and oh, like, yeah, until yeah. the end. Well, I mean, about what's actually happening until the end, but about his sexuality throughout, I think. Yeah. Um, but in well, the yeah, movie... Because, like, you could... I was, I was just saying, in the movie at the end, just like in the book at the end, you kind of realize that there is no conspiracy, kind of. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, the, la- yeah, yeah, the yeah. last scene of the movie, they're all out there like, what the fuck did you do? What's happening? The last scene of the book... Well, actually, that's not really true. The last scene of the book starts that way, but then they kind of push him into his room, and then it... Yeah, I mean, that happens in the movie, too. And then he ends up being Simon Chu. So, it, yeah, it, it does retain its ambiguity in the end both, both in both versions, I guess. So never mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, in the end of the movie, he jumps out the window. And when they all come out, like, there, there's a thing, there's a really surreal moment, which is probably one of my favorite moments in the movie, probably my favorite shot of the movie, which is where he's looking out the window and there's just a shot of all the other windows. And it's almost like he's on a stage yeah. and like all the windows are actually these balconies and everybody's like dressed to the nines yeah. and they're all like, you know, it's very like Kubrickian. It's and incredible. Creepy. It's incredible. And um, I'll also say, I mean, you noticed watching this, they had to build that, right? Oh yeah. I mean, that I mean, was a huge, uh, beautiful yeah, crane imagine. shot that was like on this giant built set that had to move around that shot. Like that, that whole place, mm-hmm. like, this movie could easily have been shot at some apartment building somewhere, but instead he's like, no, 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 we need to build this in a way that we can have this one crane shot go through this thing and do these things in a way that nobody will notice or care about. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, yeah. the geometry, like the, 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 the whole setup of that whole apartment building is so central to it. Like it, it's part of what makes it really work in a way that you never notice, you know? Um, sure. But that final shot like is so epic. And you, and it can only be that way because you've set up that location and you know where his apartment is and then they all are standing on their balconies and like it becomes a bigger than, I don't know. It's Yeah, I mean the movie, the opening, the opening credits is a shot from outside and shooting the windows from the outside and it just like tracks from window to window and there's even like, uh, you, you even see Simone in one of the windows and she fades into Tchaikovsky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's probably the only time in the movie you see her, except when she's in the mummy wrap in the bathroom as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean the theme of, and I guess like what I was going to say is like that juxtap, like there's a big juxtaposition between that shot, uh, at the end going from window to window and everybody being dressed to the nines and they're, and they're clapping. They're like, congratulations. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. 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 And, uh, and it's like, uh, and then that's that being juxtaposed with the way everyone actually is when they come out, like, right. and they're like putting on their robes right. and like they see him on the ground there. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, this is really happening again. Like it, it doesn't really seem like something where it was like, it doesn't really feel like something where it was a conspiracy truly. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 But it seems pretty but it clear, might, but it might as well have been, yeah, but it might as well have been to him because like. All the things that they do, like, do whittle away at him. Exactly. And, but, it, but it's, well, it's, 
But ultimately, it's his fault for, like, allowing the reduction of himself, you know? And, like, for always being accommodating. And that's not something they do to him. He is doing that from scene one. You exactly. Know, when he first goes yes. into the door and talks to the concierge. She's, like, being incredibly rude and, like, washing dishes. And she's like, what, you want me to do my job? People think concierges are slaves, you know, whatever. And he's like constantly like apologizing yeah. and being like, I'm sorry to trouble you and whatever, yeah. you know, like he's like really right out of the gates, just an accommodating person who like really just want, doesn't want to cause any trouble, you know? But I think, uh, I think a lot of that comes from the immigrant status or the status as some, mm-hmm. somehow an outsider. Um, you could also say this comes from a queer uh, status, you know what I mean? That he's absolutely got yeah, yeah. something that he's hiding that makes him try and be more accommodating. Like the, um, the best little boy in the world syndrome is like the idea yeah, yeah, <laughs> of yeah. like a, you know, a queer child or, you know, adult as they grow, um, who just wants to do everything so perfectly and make everybody like them all the time and always apologize for everything. So that like that one thing that they're doing, that's having their gay sex or whatever, like if that were to be discovered, it wouldn't, you know what I mean? It, they, they've already proven their worth or something, you know? Um, and so mm-hmm. going around just being accommodating um, is a cover. I mean, he might not even know he's queer or something, you know? Right. Like there's not something exactly. about the, there's, some, there's something about like repression and being closeted that sometimes doesn't even allow you to find yourself. Right, right. You know? And I think that like, yeah, the, the, the idea of being a closeted queer and like, society not allowing you to find yourself and to explore your sexuality and to be an individual, your true self and individual is very connected to the idea of immigration and assimilation. Right. And that you're just going to assimilate and be accommodating and try to go with the flow and like smoke what they smoke and drink what they drink and eat what they eat and walk like they walk and whatever it is. Um, and the thing is, what does that, what does that lead to? You know, (laughs) Yeah, that's that a, that's a thing. Like that's um, the death of the self, you know. And that's that's yeah. It's kind of like a really like that. That's the thing that I think is really like like you were saying. It doesn't need to be a conspiracy for that all to still be true. Like the point is like why mm-hmm. does he sit at Simon Chou's seat? Is like because that's the one that's open. Like that's why he's in her apartment is because <laughs> that's the one that's open. And like why do they have her cigarettes? Well, because they got the cigarettes for the people like you know what i mean they don't just have like a ton of extra they probably just order what people get and she had that and so they have that in stock and you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. unless the whole environment's going to change to accept this new person like he could just instead be accommodating and become the thing that the environment wants him to be and that is assimilation like that's and that's also i think um um domestication and I think that that, you know, is the yeah, other thing that yeah. I find really interesting about this is that the idea that this domestication is connected to this transition into femininity that's being pushed upon him, I think is something that's really interesting. And I think in the, in, in the movie, I don't really read the movie as a best little boy in the world syndrome queer narrative as much um, as... I kind of read the movie as like they're turning him queer. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I kind of, I kind of, or, or the situation is turning him queer. Like it, it doesn't seem to me like in the movie, Trelkovsky is gay the whole time and just like is hiding that and always wanted to become a woman or whatever. 
Um, sure. I think, I think in the um, movie, it's very much like this is an extension of like how to become more domesticated and more accept. Like it's it's the feminine trait of of amicability you know what i mean and getting along and Mm -hmm. then that sort of thing and him adopting that feminine trait more and more and losing all of his masculine traits um is this process of assimilation and domestication and and and, and, um and over socialization you could say (laughs) in the uh in the uh industrial society and its future sort of sort of way but no absolutely um yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's kind of painting with a wide brush, and we have to remember it's 1976, and there are kind of like different like cultural understandings about queerness and transness and uh, masculinity and femininity that we may have now. But like, yeah, I mean, the domestication, d- the domestic space is the space of the woman, right? Especially at that time, where like you know, that's the way it was commonly thought of, and still is uh, to this day the majority of women kind of having a domestic life because they'll have children and, you know, like there many of them are still homemakers and caregivers and all this kind of stuff. And there, there definitely is a juxtaposition between the male and female characters in this movie. Like all of his friends are very like, like overtly masculine. Like they, you know, they treat women with disrespect and they say all these gross jokes. I mean, and then his like one friend scope he like scope takes him to his apartment and he demonstrates my how to favorite t- scene in the movie. This is the thing. This is the, the scene yeah, yeah. in the movie that stands out to me. I mean, maybe it's not my, I mean, cinematically there's some, ah, oh, there's such incredible shit in this movie, but that is the scene in this movie that I think about so often is his friend inviting him over and being like, no, no, like you, you're a foreigner and you don't understand how we do it here is we say like, fuck you. I paid and like, fuck you. And then people respect you. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And it's like the mm-hmm. fact that his friend can get away with that is, I mean, that's masculinity. And that's, that's, I don't know. There's something, there's something, he's not being domesticated and he's being threatening and he's being aggressive and he's getting his way through force. Um, and that's all stuff that Tchaikovsky, I mean, he could try and do that, but I don't even know that he could, you know what I mean? Like, he has this inherent shame in him that these American or the, these French, these Americans. I think in the movie, it, this is very much about Americanness. You know what I mean? I mean, Scope uh, feels like an American. He feels so Scope American. Feels like an American. And him being yeah. like playing that music and being that asshole and everything, and like also like showing marching him, band music. It's yeah, like, yeah. It's like like war music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's also showing him like. Something that's real. Like, that's the only person who could save him in this whole movie. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Every Like, he's the one who's like, no, nah, dude, just, like, stop having shame over this and, like, you're fine. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and maybe, the, maybe there's a balancing act to it all, but the movie is trying to show the dichotomy of, like, um, yeah, I mean, like, what masculinity is in this sense is like taking up space and refusing to back down and like taking what's yours and like not being accommodating because yeah, that just leads to a reduction of yourself and like who you are. Right. Um, but like is the, is the trade off that you're just kind of an asshole, you know, who <laughs> like, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know. And like, do you, do you garner respect? Like, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, when we talk about Tchaikovsky, Tchaikovsky is very feminine the whole way through. 
And there are so many little things, man. Like, like you know, when Scope invites him into the apartment, he says he has beer, and like Cholkovsky says, beer is fine. But Cholkovsky like doesn't know how to pour a beer. He like pours it straight into the cup, and it like foams up immediately. Right, right, right. Like he's a he's clearly like a he's clearly like a wine and mixed drinks guy. Mm-hmm, like he mm-hmm. always orders like mixed drinks. Yep, um, yep. And then there's just there's lines like uh, there's lines like when he first comes to the apartment, he's talking to. Uh, Monsieur Z, he says, uh, like, we're not looking for anyone who wants to entertain girlfriends. And Tchaikovsky says, I am not that type. Right, right. Um, there's also, like, Simone wasn't interested in men. That's what uh, Stella says. Mm-hmm. So Simone was a lesbian. There's also... Which is different from the book as well, actually. Interesting. Yeah. And then there's the, the when uh, Cholkovsky goes to take out his trash, he notices the concierge reading a girl magazine, like uh, okay, it's like a blink and you miss it moment. But she's she's reading like a Playboy or something. Interesting. It's like okay. uh, yeah, I did not and notice like, that the concierge. Yeah, the concierge. It says she's reading a men's magazine of some kind. It, sa- it says Marianne, daughter of the sea. Interesting. Um, Interesting. So yeah, dude. That, I mean, this all goes along with the uh, they're turning him gay. Like everyone in this apartment building is gay. I can't. Maybe yeah. Maybe they are. There's also there. There is a weird thing with like. Uh, um, there there is a thing about how like they're turning him gay and he's becoming more of a woman and like that means he's becoming more domesticated and all this kind of stuff. But more amicable. More but you, amicable. But when, when it comes to the neighbors and a lot of the tertiary characters, you'll actually notice in a lot of the scenes that the women are the ones who are actually pulling the strings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like totally. Monsieur Z's like Miss, Miss wife is the one pulling the strings. And you don't right. even see her until like later in the movie. And she just kind of appears at a left field as, as if she was like, is like it's a really bizarre how they introduce her and really like fever dreamy. Because she's like not there the whole time, and when he first goes to Monsieur Z's apartment, it's like a it's another woman who's there, and you can't tell if she's just like a maid or if it's mm-hmm. his wife or something. But that's not that's not the woman who comes up to his apartment later. Interesting, you know? Okay, um, that like that woman is Madame Diaz, or, yeah, 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 or whatever, and like she she's like introduced at that point, and then like that she turns out to be. Uh, Monsieur Z's wife or whatever. Oh, does and then she? In the thing movie? where like the neighbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, in the like, book, those are different well, people. Well, I think Monsieur. The thing is, like, they never like explicitly say it. But they're just but, standing like, next to each Monsieur other C- and clapping and stuff. Well, well, well. They're like they're coming out together at the end when he jumps. Like you can okay. see that they're together. Right, and right. like, there's also the thing where like after he gets hit by the car. He sees that couple as uh, Monsieur Z and uh, Madame Diaz. Right. Like they're together. Now, in the book, the people who hit him are actually just other neighbors. They are? Yeah. Um, so he notices them as other neighbors and they bring him back against his will and whatever. And you're still not sure if there's some sort of actual conspiracy or not because it's like he kind of left and was running away and then the neighbors ran him down and then told the police that they were taking him back against his will and. And they like kind of hold mm-hmm. his arm behind him back and behind his back and like push him up the stairs to his apartment and stuff. And it's like you're hearing it from an unreliable narrator, so you're you're kind of like, yeah, well, maybe they're just helping him home, and he thinks that they were shoving him home. But 
in the yeah, book. Yeah. In the, and book, the way they do in the movie is that, you know, they yeah. are just randos, but he right. interprets them as being Monsieur Z and Madame Diaz. Right. And that's like, like one of the just archetypal now. That's that's one of the like parts where the book starts to kind of deviate from the movie a little bit because the real on, the only real deviation is just kind of that like the book or the movie makes it a little bit more clear that he's kind of going crazy. Um, also Mm -hmm. the movie is a little bit funnier, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like I think the movie is obviously a comedy in a way that the book kind of, I mean, it's funny, but like it gets scarier. Like it, the book is a lot closer in tone to something like hereditary, honestly. Um, and when, when you see, like when you're talking about the scene where they're all out there and they're dressed to the nines clapping and stuff in the book, it's like they've got these weird rituals going on where like a guy with a horse comes in and like, there's a, there's a little kid on a bicycle wearing a mask that's dragging like a, um, a, a, a statuette of a woman behind him. And as the statuette gets scraped along on the ground and this figure eight, it slowly like pieces of this woman fall off and it's all representative of Simon Chou and all this stuff. Like it, it ends up really weird and surreal with like, I don't know. There's, there's like some guys come out with like a fish on a stick and like, and then while they're staring up at him, they flay this fish completely without like breaking eye contact and spill the guts and then put the guts on their head and make crowns of fish guts while staring at it. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's totally over the top surreal stuff. That's like out of Bo is afraid or midsummer or something like, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, it's an Ari Actually, Aster this movie reminded me a lot of Bo's Afraid. Yeah. I kind of feel like the, the Bo's book, Afraid had the, to have... The book even more so, I think, with, with a lot of that sort of surrealism stuff. It, it really, mm-hmm. th- that was the thing, is like what we were talking about, um, pairing this with Martin and stuff. Like After kind of watching this again and reading, I was like, oh man, this would be a great pairing with Bo's Afraid. But also, it would also be a great pairing <laughs> yeah. with, with The Shining, because I mean, this is The Shining, sure. right? Like. Yeah. A couple of years earlier, it's a few years and before like, the Shining, yeah, 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 and the the book is like even, I mean, there's other crazy dude, oh, dude in the book when when they're trying to get him to kill himself in the first, like he goes back to his apartment and he's like, oh, the window's open, they they didn't like they didn't remember to board that up, so I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna scream for help, and he goes to the window, he's about to scream for help, and then everybody starts playing, um, blasting out of all of the apartment's windows, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So he's up there, like, trying to, like, not kill himself while Beethoven's Ninth is playing so loud that he can't even scream for help and stuff. And then he, like, it, it's it's right out of Clockwork Orange. It's, it's like Clockwork it, Orange, it's, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's very, like, this is definitely a book that Kubrick uh, read, I think. And, and it seems to me like that scene, like, is, it has to be some sort of a reference, like the, the, the Clockwork Orange scene. Because mm-hmm. it, I mean, the writing of the scene in the book is just like, oh man, this is the scene. Like, I can't believe this. That's why he chose Beethoven's Mm Ninth, is it? (laughs) I don't know. Um, Yeah, yeah. And then he's not an Alex, you know, because he's not just like an animal who's like acting on all of his impulses. He's the opposite of that. But I think deep down, Tchaikovsky is kind of a wolf. And I think he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Exactly, because he's a man. There's a lot of... Because he's a man in women's clothing. Like, you know what I mean? He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's yeah, a man yeah, in women's yeah, yeah. clothing. He's like the idea of... Okay, so if we're talking about The Shining, like... Or, or, I'm sorry. If we're talking about um, a Clockwork Orange, like we're talking about the domestication or the socialization of this person to fit into society. And like 
Alex is totally somebody who is being feminized and and you know subjected to this sort of treatment that is making him into a lesser I don't know like he doesn't have the ability to be aggressive or do any of the things that they're that Tchaikovsky can't do. You know what I mean? He can't speak up to his neighbors anymore. He has to be submissive and throw up and, or burp. Like, you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. that's, that is a very similar process, I think, um, to what's going on in, mm-hmm. in, in this movie. It seems very connected, like very connected thematically. Um, yeah. And I think in a clockwork orange, the, the domestication is much more forced and it's like, you know, right. it's, it's <laughs> It's it's not like this thing about paranoia and conspiracy and a thing where you're just being whittled away by the kind of like natural occurrences of things. He really is just like put into a facility and drugged and like made to watch videos and whatever. You know what I mean? Right, right. It's of a course. kind of a different thing. Of but course, of course. I, I get what you're saying. I but mean, there's, essentially, there's some you're still thematic. talking about the reduction of oneself and like and one's more animalistic impulses, like yeah. nature's. Yeah, and yeah. Sexual exactly. desires, violent um, desires, desires to you know express one's be fully present and you know yeah he's always trying to reduce himself. yeah so when 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 um when Tchaikovsky goes to the funeral he like inches closer to stella you know yeah, yeah. and there, there's something about the fact that he would inch closer to stella like he really is like trying to make a play at stella you mm-hmm. know yeah, yeah. even though he doesn't want it to come off that way and, like, even, you know, I think when they go out to see the Bruce Lee movie and whatever, and he's, like, not willing to make out with her during the movie. So he's, like, not willing to make moves, but she really wants him to. And that's why he doesn't, like, go home with her afterwards. Yeah. You can kind of tell she's, like, she's, like, okay, this guy is not, like, interested or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, in the church, he, like, creeps closer to her. And mm-hmm. then, like, the the priest starts saying this thing. Um, basically, like... Tchaikovsky like starts to sort of like sweat and freak out yeah. because it kind of feels like the priest is st- talking directly to him. Right. I think the priest says something along like, you know, creeps like creeps like you yearning only for carnal satisfaction. And like Tchaikovsky puts a cigarette in his mouth and then he says like, how dare you pester and mock me at my very face and whatever. Like it's really, yeah. it's a really interesting moment where it's like, um, he he feels like all of a sudden he's being like spoken directly to and that he's being seen and that he's been like uh, found out or whatever. Exactly. You know? Yeah. 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 And then um, he has to run away as he's. And then, so what's interesting yeah. is in the, in the book, that same thing happens, except that it's basically, he's trying to inch closer to, um, to, to her and he starts thinking about death because they're at the funeral and whatever. And then he starts thinking about the worms eating the body. And then there's worms. He feels the worms on the back of his own neck. And he needs to think of something to distract from that. And he's trying to think about sex to distract from that and trying to think about any, like, and it's, it's this overwhelming just anxiety stuff that starts taking over. Um, and it's an internal monologue mm-hmm. that instead the movie kind of makes external and totally gets across the exact same thing probably better and it is the same thing at the door where he's trying to open the big door and then he finally is like oh fuck this little door you know what i mean that exact same thing happens Mm -hmm. in the book and it's like that's it's a perfect description of like that panic you know what i mean and like oh everybody (laughs) behind you can hear that you're trying to get this door open why is the fucking door not opening oh it's just this little door okay i'm outside i'm okay like um yeah there's also his entire relationship to simone like is interesting too because he really feigns like worry and care 
um, you know, he, he like, he says he feels, you know, feels terrible about this or whatever. And he like goes to the hospital to see her. And that's like how he meets, um, Stella. But it's, it's pretty clear that like really all he's concerned about is whether or not he can get this apartment. Right. You know, like, yeah, yeah, of course. It's, it's like this weird kind of, it's like this kind of weird anxiety about like needing to know and like going there and like investigating and being around, you know? And it's like, it's like, I'm not really sure what his game is or whatever, but like once he finds out she dies, he like the next scene, he's, he's going into the apartment and he's like happy. Yeah. He's like rubbing his hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like happy to be there. Like, yeah. Well, like, the oh, whole she's thing dead. Is, this is mine. Yeah. The whole thing is like, that like, I mean, in the book, there's more of the internal monologue about it, but the whole thing is just like, he totally wants the apartment he's going there to see whether she's gonna die or not and then when this girl shows up he has to pretend like he because he sees her tits and he's like yo she's got some nice tits so i don't want her to be mad at me let me <laughs> uh, i'll say I, will, I won't say that i was friends but i'll say that i was just concerned i didn't know her that well and blah 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 and that it's sad and then they go out and then they hook, like and then he's know. just like totally pretending to have a connection with her right. to like for sex. To, like, you know, date for sex. Yeah, to, like, but the date sex, this other girl and the, whatever. And Yeah, but but the thing is, like, she's also even more interested in him. Like, she's pushing it the whole time, you know? She's, like, totally yeah, yeah. open to all of this and, like, is totally just trying to fuck. And what's interesting is that in the book, like, at one point he gets drunk. Um, and, like, the fact that she wants him makes him so disgusted with her and stuff. Like, there's this thing of just, like, her, like her acceptance of his like advances like make him so disgusted with her that he like then goes and throws up and then goes back to bed with her and then he's like well now I don't feel as disgusted with her anymore actually I kind of want to fuck and you know but there's kind of all this sort of back and forth between like his sexual desires and like his death drive and stuff like there, there's because there is in the movie and in the book the conversation early on of like I, I've never thought about suicide like it, like I mean, yeah, I've got yeah. no argument mm-hmm. against it. It's just like doesn't make any sense or whatever. And then he later, says he can't when, comprehend it. Yeah, yeah. But later in the book, he's like throwing up, and he's like, actually, that throwing up was like it, it didn't feel bad. Actually, it felt really great. It was like a suicide in a way. And so like, you know what I mean. And then like later on, like he like slowly comes around to understanding this. And by the end of the book, like it actually the book really does make his suicide a big extension of this like trash thing like you know what i mean this thing of like his shame over his own self and like the these people around him are like making him feel bad about himself or whatever and he's just like oh yeah you're gonna make me do this well if, you, if I, then i'm gonna be i'm gonna make it so much worse for you and he's like as he's dying he's like spraying them with his blood and stuff he's like yeah i'm gonna get you yeah you're not, you should have worn your fucking red clothes because now these this is gonna stain forever you can't get this off your door he's like spitting blood on their doors and shit and everyone's like yo what the fuck like what's <laughs> like but it is like very much just like, oh yeah, you guys, you guys wouldn't fucking make a sp- spot for me that I'm going to fucking show you all. Like, this is, this is what you did. Like, this is, you know, and it, it, it actually does make kind of sense, you know, like it's, it's, it is somebody who's going crazy and whatever, but it's like crazy in a way that you're totally like, oh no, I get that. <laughs> like, you know, like I mm-hmm. have, I have yeah, felt yeah, yeah. like pushed against a wall at that point, like where you're just like, I'm so like, are you fucking like, I'll just, you know, <laughs> it's like, you want to make it that bad for me? Fine. I'm not going to like even fight against it. I'm just going to show you how fucking bad it is for me. You see how bad this is for me? I'm going to do it faster. I'll do it better. I'll do it whatever. That's fine. I did it. You see, it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, you want me to die? Fine. I'll fucking kill myself, but I'm going to do it so hard. You're going to feel bad. Like, you know, it's, it's a crazy, yeah. it's like an and iconic then, depiction of that. Um, and I think the movie does a really good job of capturing that. But it also is so kind of funny that, 
like you don't you don't get it as viscerally as maybe in the book because um, it is just yeah, so yeah. funny dude the fact that it happens twice i mean in the book it's it's funny too i guess but it's like more shocking and whatever in the movie it's like so shocking that it's just so funny like <laughs> and, and the, the mm-hmm. like timing of it too like the timing of the second jump and everything is just so like what? No, wait, he's going back upstairs. He's, he's, oh, he's doing it again. Guys, no, we're wrong. <laughs> and then he's in the bed, you know. The fact that he's got, like, the, mm-hmm. the leg sticking out, too. Like, the it's actually a compound fracture where you can see the bone completely out through his leg. It's, like, really good, yeah. like, violence effect, like, like uh, uh, makeup effects. But just, like, for mm-hmm. half of a shot, like, kind of thrown away, you know. They don't have a close-up of the leg sure. or anything. It's just kind of like, oh, shit, that's like a really bad... <laughs> but that's the same with a lot yeah, of things yeah, in right. this movie. Yeah. I think that there's like a lot of really, really great work that's just kind of thrown away. Um, oh, yeah. It's like, like blink, there's like blink like, and you miss it details all yeah. over the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like there's... Especially, especially when he's got this fever dreams and shit. There's two that are like incredible like one of them i think is great when he's walking in, into the hallway and you see the stairs but then there's like 30 different staircases that all like don't actually make sense but it's only for like one shot and it doesn't look that ab- like you actually you have to look at it for a second to be like oh wait that's a staircase that oh there's like 30 staircases there it's like you know you don't even notice Which part it. are you talking about it's it's during his fever dream part um during his fever dream where like he's stumbling around. Yeah, near the end. Um, right before he reaches like when he goes for to the, the bathroom? Yeah, when he goes to the bathroom. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, right before he's back in bed and he reaches over for his water bottle. Remember that one? That's my favorite. That's the number one favorite. Uh, um, describe the scene. What are you talking about? He's, he's in bed. He's sick. And he reaches next to him for the chair. There's a bottle of water on the chair. And then when he reaches for it, his hand doesn't make contact because it's actually just a matte painting of a chair. <laughs> That's like, it looks three-dimensional, really? but it's actually just a flat chair. Do you, you don't remember this? See, this is one of these blink-if-you-miss-it details. This is one of the blink-if-you-miss-it details. It's during the fever dream, and you it's like, he's just, it, it's basically like a really dark scene where he's just lying in bed, and next to him there's his chair and a bottle of water on the chair, and he's like reaching for the bottle of water. But like, when when his hand touches where the bottle of water should be and where the top of the chair should be, he realizes it's like, not actually there it's just like a matte painting that looks three-dimensional from our perspective but like (laughs) it's it's incredible you know what i mean it's it's around the same time they do the same they do the shot of the room where he like walks to the other side and it's a forced perspective where he gets tiny and the room gets huge okay you remember that one I mean, because these were these were I mean. okay, but these like, were all these were all during the fever dream, and each of these are like giant things that had to be like built. Like this was a giant room that had to be built for you to do this forced perspective shot, where you start behind him and then he walks towards the window, and by the time he gets to the window, the window is like thirty feet tall, and he's like one foot tall. Um, but that's only for one shot in the middle of this fever dream, and it's like they had to build all of that. Same with the 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 matte painting next to his bed thing where it's like they had to draw that and design that shot and do that. And like, they just throw it away in a like three second shot. Is that your interpretation of it? Or did you actually research and find that out? No, you just, you can, you can just saying based on just watching it. You can just tell what's going on. Like there's a, there's a, Okay, I mean, I mean, it's not a matte painting. It's like (laughs) Like, it's like a force. Yeah, but if you if you go through and you like rewind that like moment for like ten times in a row, you can like tell what's going on. It's like he's reaching for something and it's not there, 
and then the shot's over. But if you go and you look at it, he's like reaching for something and what it is is like a forced perspective painting of something that should be three-dimensional, but he's just reaching in front of the painting. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. But it's, it's stuff that like a lot of effort is put in, but then like it is so not showy that it you don't even notice it unless you're looking you know and there's a lot of that in the movie same with like same with the fact that the whole thing was built for those like crane shots to happen and that other scene that we were talking about like there's a lot of this stuff that's just like dude this budget was used to such bizarre like ends you know what i mean (laughs) like no we're gonna build this Mm -hmm. whole like forced perspective giant room but like for a you know seven second shot (laughs) um and i love that you know the dream, the dream sequence that all these scenes that I'm talking about is part of this one sequence that I just think is like some of the best Polanski like surrealism. Period. Like I, I think it's I mean, along the lines part of, of the dream sequences in, in Rosemary's Baby and stuff. Mm-hmm. This is all part of the sequence when he like wakes up and he's dressed. Like it's like from that point forward, the whole thing's a fever dream. So yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm talking about you like, say, like the fever dream scene. I think that's the entire like movie basically, or like the entire third act. So it's like hard to pinpoint. Right. Know? Right. No, I'm like, talking about get, the part where he's like remember, specifically where he's sick. I remember where he's sick. You know no, I remember I, mean? where, I remember when he wakes up sick. I, yeah. I, but yeah, yeah, I got you, man. I got you. It's just when um, he's like so sick that he's like drunkenly stumbling around and like whatever. And then the next morning he like wakes up and he's like kind of better, you know? It's like that sequence where he's drunkenly like stumbling around. The entire thing is a fever dream because yeah. like I already said, you know, like the wife isn't there and then all of a sudden she's there. And then like, you know, Madame Gar- Gadarian like comes to... The, the door or whatever with her daughter, but right. like Madame Diaz says that she has a son and like right. Madame Gardarian is like, Oh, there's, that's the other woman who's making the noise, but you don't know who that woman is or like yeah. what she's talking about. And it's like, there's like a lot of just like contradictory information. Yeah. That that's also true in the sense. book too. It's, it's also the, the, yeah. the, 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 she has a daughter and they say she has a son and all that stuff. It, it's bizarre. These things that don't match up. Um, the other thing that I would I would say, just kind of to tie this into a more modern sort of context, is like I really I kind of think that this movie, as well as Martin, um, and I guess I'm just kind of thinking maybe we should have a cigarette break soon and then transition into that. Um, but well, I still have some things I want to say, man. I don't want to uh, transition. Martin, <laughs> no, I, I want to talk about the ancient Egypt stuff. I want to and I want to talk about modernity. Cool, cool. Um, but yeah, so you already said domestication, you know, I think this is a big aspect of modernity. I guess like, you know, a bigger point about filmmaking is that like filmmaking is a modern art form in general. And I think like, you know, in the, especially in the, like the sixties and the mid 20th century, I mean, I mean, even like fucking Chaplin was doing it honestly in the beginning, but so many movies are about the problems of modernity and like you got all the, Antonioni's and whatever in the 60s which are like all about that and there's there's so many things you know and this movie feels I mean, the, really like The Passenger Man is basically the same movie as The Tenant too <laughs> you know so yeah talking sure. Antonioni I mean there's like but yeah like the, the idea of domestication isolation alienation you know like having paper thin walls living in the longhouse the kind of uh the, the like secret matriarchal structure to things that like you kind of see um, the lack of privacy, which like, which they, they really make a point to say is not a problem for the wealthy. You remember the scene where he like goes to like the rich guy's house and he's like 
describing his problems with the neighbors and the rich guy's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Totally. <laughs> there's like a class there's like a class distinction. Totally. Between like, you know, the people who have to live on top of one another and the people who don't and like how like one is a environment of freedom and one isn't and whatever. Um but yeah, like modernity being accommodating, that's living in a living in a society. You know, we live in a society. You have to be accommodating, make right. concessions, lessen yourself. Right. And then like, you know, the martyrdom of lessening oneself, how he almost feels like, you know, a martyr for like and creating this creating this whole conspiratorial narrative that this is all being done to him in this kind of martyr way. Right, right. Um these are all like the modern problem things, you know. Totally, totally. And, like the idea that like a, a a liberal quote unquote free society kind of like weeds out what it doesn't like with passive aggression and manipulation and like create creating insufferable environments because it can't just like take you out in a much more direct way. Yeah. Um yeah. but but and then like, you know, suicide mm-hmm. is a big modern paradigm thing. Uh paranoia conspiracy madness the trans identity thing like it's all very passive like, aggression as well i'd say yeah 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 i mean that's all on that topic yeah you know yeah. um and i think i think um what's what's interesting about the uh i, I was really thinking about the ancient egypt themes a lot because like that's something that's really obviously super prevalent in the movie and I was like trying to figure out like what is the thing to this, um, right? Like, like Simone was like really into ancient Egypt and history. You know, like, history books in general. House. He and he starts history reading her history general, books but, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's something about like specifically ancient Egypt. Yeah, I've brought up before in the Planet of the Apes um, conversation how. Egypt was a society that lasted for like over 3000 years. And it did that through like kind of conservative means through not changing very much. Right. Um, right. Right. And there's this like one, not, not accommodating, not assimilating. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah exactly. It maintained its identity for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And there's this one period of time in ancient Egyptian history where a Pharaoh tried to change that. His name was Akhenaten. He was married to Nefertiti, and Nefertiti is the bust you see in the room. That's Nefertiti's head. Okay. Um, okay. And and Akhenaten was like the one pharaoh who tried to change the religious policy to monotheism. It's the like the earliest known form of monotheism that was centered on a sun disk, so a sun god with a connection to the royal household kind of thing. When previously they were um, polytheistic. Right. And this was like the wealthiest period of ancient Egyptian history during his rule and everything. But um, but the polytheistic uh, religion was returned by his son, King Tut, um, a- after his death. And so, like, it was this brief moment in period where this person tried to exert their will and change the system, and it didn't happen. And it reverted back to the way it was and, you know lasted for uh, for however much longer it did. And I think that that is all kind of interesting that that's like sort of there, that there are like sort of like clues that point towards that narrative of ancient Egypt and that time of ancient Egypt. Um, But there also is just like, 
But like also the bathroom is is a sarcophagus, right? And like Simone's room is her mummy's tomb. Like that's her pharaoh's tomb. Like he doesn't even like get rid of her shit. Like it's all still there. It's like furnished and all of her stuff is there. Yeah, yeah. In and the it's book, like he's living In the book that's a benefit that that of of his moving in. You know what I mean? They're like, Oh, this mm-hmm. is this is all her stuff you get for free, furnished. You never get that anywhere. But 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 what is this like? This is like breaking into a pharaoh's tomb and unleashing a curse, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's that kind of totally weird ancient Egypt, like shit. Um, totally. And yeah, you know, totally. you have like the little the literal shot of her being a mummy in the bathroom and starting to unravel. Uh, yep. And then like and how like she's like completely wrapped in bandages in the hospital and and whatever. Totally. The one thing I don't really fully understand is the removal of the tooth. I don't completely understand what that connects to. I mean, um, it's in the book too. I, I mean, I think it connects to his idea of you know the the transience of self or whatever, and that it's connected to the space and becoming the space that you are in, and the space becoming you, and that sort of thing. Um, but I, yeah, it feels like there should be some sort of like, oh, this is what that is. There's a reference to the tooth god. Yeah, I was wondering if it was an ancient Egyptian thing, but I right. couldn't find anything about like teeth that was incredibly important in ancient Egypt. I guess I couldn't remember. I don't think they remove your teeth when they mummify you. No. So I but I'm I'm not positive though. I don't know. They remove your organs and put them in jars and all that stuff, but, you know. But e- even that, the idea of mummification and the removal of all the parts of you and like all this stuff is, you know. That all that all kind of like speaks in this movie. Um, totally, totally. There's a lot of synchronicities there. Mm-hmm. There's, there, I, I think there's something really interesting about, yeah, what you were saying about the this transition period that failed, um, that really does jive with the whole story of this movie. I can't, I can't quite put it into words necessarily, um, but that does seem like yeah, a, yeah. a poetic. It rhymes, uh, George Lucas. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. sort of <laughs> yeah. Like so it's like history; it rhymes. Uh, there's also like I mean, speaking of the Nefertiti bust, like Scope has uh, a female head bust in his room. It's like um, a wig bust. Okay. Um, kind of rhymes with the the Nefertiti bust. Interesting, um, but it's a modern. But bust? it's a modern, yeah, like like bust for a wig, mannequin, yeah, 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 or something. But it's a, but it's a, but it's a female mannequin head, um, and it's a very odd, like, feel like an outlier of things in his apartment, right? You know? Yeah, that's strange. Um, but I don't know. I didn't read into that, that too much. Maybe that's because he's gay too, and he's he's going around cross dressing. Or I mean, maybe not gay, but maybe he's going around wearing women's clothes too. You know. I mean, I really do think there's, like, a lot in this movie that points towards the closeted queerness thing, even though that's not the way you said you were reading it. Mm-hmm. Like, there was the points I brought up before, but also just, like, the whole scene where um, he has his friends over for the party, mm-hmm. the things they're talking about and stuff. Like, there's a thing, like, like it's like, there's a lot of vague conversations going on, so it's kind of hard to pinpoint what it's about or what's going on. But, like, there's a thing where... Like, Tchaikovsky is, like, obviously in the kitchen doing dishes or something, and they're in the other room. Yeah. And you hear them say something like, he's got a heart of gold. He's got the heart of a chick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And then, like, it cuts it cuts to the next scene, and they're, they're having... This is the one thing where it's like, what are they talking about here? But there's some conversation they're having where they're like, oh, you do it for a fortune. No, I wouldn't. 
you know, uh, right, and then right, the guy's right. like, I would do it for nothing, you know, whatever. I, I would pay them for me to do it to them. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. she says something like, I saw one once and it makes me want to throw up. I'm not really sure what they're talking about, but yeah, yeah. like black people, gay pe- I have no idea. <laughs> right, but It's right, like, right. like, would you fuck a black guy or something? I have no idea. It's yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he but was like, a kind of like, can we change this? Yeah, yeah, but it's like, can we change the subject? And then Scope says, to what? Woman's lib? Yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, and then like, and then he's like, and he's like, have you seen, he says, have you seen those militants? It's enough to turn you queer. Yep, yep. It's like a... But to me, to me, like, I think that a lot of this has to do with like a conversation about like gender roles and being a submissive uh, beta male sort of thing more than necessarily the like desire to have sex with men or to dress in women's clothing or whatever. Like it seems, it seems to me that the movie seemed like this is something that he's developing as a result of his environment, as opposed to like, this is something that is, that his environment is allowing to come out. Like, you know what I mean? It does, it does seem like he is becoming perverted by this perverse environment. And because of all of these pressures put on him by this environment to be more feminized and whatever it's driving him insane because he can't express his masculinity and instead it's making him go into this feminine suicidal sort of like you know what i mean a a suicide of Um, like femininity or something like you know what i mean that that is the death of itself Um, I'm just trying to I'm, I'm trying to argue for the other point um, but I think no, but I, I, think, I think, think they're the what same what I'm saying right me. now uh, I, think, um, I think they're uh, the same I think you could read it both ways um, like personally I agree with your interpretation and I think that's actually like where the Roman Plansky's head is at and like kind of what the thing I think that is what's being said because like I said like I think the way I'm looking at it is closeted queerness or transness or something like that not the way I'm looking at it but that interpretation of it is way more modern and well, like yeah, weird yeah. and like retro- retrospective or whatever. Whereas I think what you're saying is more what it's doing. But I, I do think enough is there that like if a gay person did watch this movie or a trans person did watch this movie, I mean, I mean, obviously they would probably just be superficially annoyed by the whole like, oh, of course he's going insane, therefore he's trans. Like, this, like trans people are insane or whatever. But like, you could read you could read it as this thing of just like. Yeah, being so your individuality and your queerness being so oppressed to the point where it becomes insufferable and unlivable, and you kill yourself because that's like what happens to a lot of trans people, you know? Uh, right, right. Uh, I mean, I you know. could you could you could definitely read it that way. Um, yeah, but I also do think there's this thing about uh, modernity and homosexuality and transness, and like the way Cronenberg has talked about homosexuality and stuff like that is a lot more about how, like, homosexuality and queerness in general is a modern uh, symptom. And that that's not, like, the only way to see things, because no. obviously there are a lot of people who don't see things that way. I, I think gay people have always been around, and it's not a modern paradigm thing, and it's not about, like, modernity reducing yourself that brings this up. No, right, but um, I, think, I, think that's, I think that that's true, though. I think that it has always been around and whatever, like that in different eras, like that this is something that would exist in different ways. Like, I don't know, like if you're talking about the existence of homosexuality, like that's something that goes back to ancient, you know, 
Rome, <laughs> like plenty, <laughs> like you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, in yeah, in yeah, Greece, yeah. like For more sure. so than there. There's like probably way more gayness around back then than there is. It's just like not. But an it's identity actually not group. gayness or something, right? It's more. It's actually just like no. Nah, it's it's okay to fuck men. You fuck women too, but it's like okay to fuck men. It's just kind of like this sort of. Well, like, okay. Well, like generally at at that point, I mean, up until like the 20th century, basically like the the separation was not between like the people who had gay sex and straight sex or whatever. It was the tops and the bottoms generally. So like guys sure, who got yeah. fucked in the ass were considered gay and feminine or whatever. Um, whereas guys who fucked yes. guys in the ass were just like you know guys that that you know and, sure. and and that that uh that those two are the same is like a modern sort of thing that like there's a lot of christianity and stuff like i don't know like there's a lot of neoconservatism tied into that but and just i guess that you know, is a bigger the, conversation and, and just, <laughs> yeah i mean it's a whole like there's there's you know the gay rights stuff that had to make gay an identity group in order to create gay rights and stuff. So it's like, it's the thing has mm-hmm. totally changed and whatever, but like at this point in the seventies, like we're kind of talking about a modern paradigm of it or whatever. Um, but, but yeah, but I, like, I think you're, like, I think you're that, saying I, this thing about tops and bottoms. That's what the movie's talking about. Not about necessarily being like, like straight or gay, but being a top or a bottom. Right. Yeah, well, I think I think we're talking about commands and you know. yeah. I mean, I think that we're talking about like alphas and betas, or you know, dominance and submissives, yeah, yeah. or men and women, or sure, that sort sure. of thing. Um, gay and straight, mm-hmm. or like those sort of things that generally we're talking about. Like, yeah, I, I I don't know that we're talking about necessarily like an an inherent inborn sexual preference in this movie as much as we're talking about like pressures of society to make you one way or another that are then represented by like these sort of exaggerated things like this identity shift or something like that you know what i mean for sure yeah yeah i got you um but i don't like i don't see it necessarily as like saying that this is i don't know um I don't know. I, I think I think you could look at this as a, a kind of uh, the narrative about somebody who's trying to come out or whatever. But I think that that kind of misses the point of like the pressures from the outside that are creating this sort of paranoia and this um, discomfort with the self and hatred of the self and hatred of the body and hatred of sexuality and you know, and trying to avoid death through sexuality and trying to, you know, like, I don't know. There's, there's all that sort of stuff going on that I think, I, I don't think that it's necessarily the same thing that. Well, it's an internal external thing because we already said, you know, it's not necess it's not necessarily that there is a conspiracy. It's not all about the fact that like, it's not all about these external pressures. It's all about his internal way of dealing with them. You know, because, like, Scope is not, like, being reduced. You know, he lives in the modern world. He just knows how he needs to deal with it in order to, like, maintain himself. Right, right. So it's like there's an in, there's an internal component about, like, how you go along with these things and how you deal with the external pressures. That's a big part of it, you know? Exactly, exactly. Not just, like, the external pressures in a vacuum. It's not just society that made him the way he is. It's also the way he, like, like reacted to it you know totally but i think i think like okay so we we could look at that as as a discussion of 
queerness and gay identity and 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 gender identity and that sort of stuff. But I think that really, to me, and I mean, this was the thing that I think kind of connects really well to Martin if we're starting to get towards the transition phase. <laughs> um, is, sure, let's do it, yeah. Is the, the, I think that both of these movies are kind of conversations about sort of the Chad, for, what's, the, what's the non-Chad? Virgin, I guess it's Chad and Virgin. <laughs> but like that, the Chad-Virgin Chad? dynamic, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. When you say Chad, C-H-A-D, like Chad, what is that? Chad, you know a Chad? No, I'm ignorant. Uh, it's, like a four, it's like a 4chan thing, you know what I mean? The Chad is like that meme of like the Chad, you know what I mean? The guy who gets all the girls and he's muscular and whatever and he, he's an alpha male, okay, a Chad. Okay. It's, like the, a, it's an internet the, term the for a Chad. The, okay. the archetype of the Chad. Yeah, the archetypal alpha male. Yeah, yeah, yeah the archetypal gotcha. alpha male versus the archetypal, you know, bitch, you know, virgin... Uh, whatever they call them on on, on this. And that, like, I think a lot of what we're talking about is, like, an incel narrative um, in both these movies. Now, I think Mm -hmm. in both these movies, there's sexuality, you know what I mean? He's he's having sex in this movie with the hottest of heterosexual, (laughs) like, like, wait a minute, you know what I mean? Stella. Yeah, oh, my God, but... Oh, yeah, side note note on Stella, Penny Lane stole her look. Yeah, that's true, that's true. I like but anyway, that. sorry, keep going. <laughs> no, but I, I, I think, uh, you know, we're really, I think that we're really talking about, like, incels and hikikomori and shit. Like, specifically in this movie, The Tenant, I mean, we're really talking about the hikikomori phenomenon, like, where eventually he's, like, not going into work and he's just hiding in his apartment and going crazy by himself and, like, afraid of the outside world and coming up with conspiracy theories about, like, all of the stuff that's keeping him in his apartment and keeping him in his place and keeping him down, which is, like, such a incel you know what mm. i mean think of just like oh there's this conspiracy yeah, of all yeah, this yeah. shit out there that's just keeping all the things that i want from in there and they're making me reduce myself or whatever and stuff and it's like maybe you're just reducing yourself because you always were a little bitch boy to begin with and like you should have just played your music loud and been like yo fuck you <laughs> like you know what i mean yeah if, exactly. that, that, if you were yeah. a chad like you wouldn't have had any of these problems mm-hmm he like tries to negotiate with with uh, Monsieur Z at the beginning, but just kind of fails. <laughs> you know, like he like pulls out a cigarette and tries to be all cool and like. <laughs> yeah, it's the exact same dialogue from the book too. Like like word for word. Yeah. Uh, and ex- like he he did not change anything in that scene at all, um, except like one line I think where where they're talking about the fact that it's possibly furnished or something like there's a there's a little bit there's like one more line of logistics or something but yeah it's it's exact dialogue mm-hmm. the other thing I, we, we didn't mention um so far but the, the other thing is that this book and probably movie too probably to this day who knows came out during a uh, apartment crisis in in paris oh really so like a lot of this is just like specifically a housing crisis where like the whole point is there's nowhere to live and so you have to find an open spot and the open spot is going to be the spot where somebody has recently died or is going to die. And you're just getting in there at first because that's, you know, it, it's impossible to find an apartment. And that's yeah. probably mm-hmm. because of, you know, liberal French politics that are making it, you know, possible to live there in a way that in America, you just can't live in I don't know, where I live. They're just overdeveloping everything so much that you, it's fucking there's nowhere to park and there's nowhere to fucking and they're just going to keep developing and there's nobody stopping them from doing it, whatever. Whereas in France, they're just going to be like, no, no, you're just like, you can't do that. You're not allowed to kick anybody out. You can't raise prices. But it's like, yeah, but then nobody can find anywhere to live unless somebody dies. And, you know, 
Sure. And then and Monsieur Z leverages that against him exactly. like the whole time. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. That just gives it's more like, power. I, it's like to it's the hard to find an apartment these days. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, and that's kind of the same that's going on, um, you know, in America today, where it's just like the, it's so fucking expensive to get anything anywhere. And, you know, people are talking about how when the baby boomers die off, then, like, maybe the prices will go down. It's like, I don't, don't you think that when the baby boomers die off, then banks are just going to buy their fucking places and it's going to be even more expensive because then you won't even have to pay baby boomers. You're going to be paying banks and they're just going to keep rate. Like, you know what I mean? It's like every time you think that there's going to be some sort of relief, it's like, no, 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 no. It's just going to get sold out to it. But never mind. This is a side note. (laughs) But yeah, I think the incel thing really connects us to to Martin. If you want to move on to that are we are we through with the tenant here for the moment um we, we should move on to martin although i really did want to bring up the scene where like the old boyfriend comes back actually not the old boyfriend but the old lover who like never professed his love to simone yeah yeah and he's like and like Chukowski has to basically stay with him stay with him all night so that he doesn't kill himself yeah and then he tells Chalkovsky that he saved his life mm-hmm. that's it's beautiful um, but it's also really I, I love that when he starts and... making noise, <laughs> you know what I mean? When he's just like, I'm gonna sit, like sit yeah. down. Let me just tell you what happened. And then he's like, No! He's like, God damn it, the neighbors! <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I'm trying to be nice, but dude, the neighbors gonna hear you. Like, and he doesn't say anything. <laughs> he's like, Ugh. Yeah, he's like, he's like, we have to go out. Let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, let's get a um, drink somewhere else. Yeah, there, there. Honestly, there are just so many little details, so many things in this movie. Um, yeah, I guess like, I guess there's stray thoughts and whatever, but yeah, we probably should just move on to Martin because, um, there are a lot of similar themes and, you know, we don't, we're not parallels. Yeah. A lot of parallels. So you want to take a quick break, quick pee break, take a quick break. Yes, sir. So you want to get into Martin now? Yeah, back to Martin. So we never talked about this before. So what do you think? Yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> uh, I I really liked Martin. I actually ended up like like bumping up my rating for it after I like watched it a second time and like thought about it a lot more because yeah. like the the initial viewing was was a little bit like it doesn't really read as something with as much depth as the tenant or something, you know, it feels a little bit more straightforward. Right. Um, but I, I, I really like, uh, I kind of, I kind of like how fun Martin is and just like, kind of like it's, it's, it's a surprisingly, I don't know, like it's insanely dark and like, horrible in a lot of ways and like in in the same way that the tenet is you know like they're both like really enjoyable movies to watch and really like like creatively made um and they but they both deal with just like some of the just like really most depressing topics totally Um, totally one of the things that i was thinking um last time um that I watched it just just because we we just talked about um, in the Planet of the Apes episode. You were talking at one point about how 
in movies today, you can never have a, a main character that like hurts an animal or something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's just like, we could never have like that type of moral ambiguity today, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, next, next up watching Martin, I was just kind of like, first seed, he just murders and rapes a woman. (laughs) Like, he like knocks her out and then like, you know, gets her naked and lies her on top of him and drinks her blood. And then that's the guy we're going to be following. It's not, (laughs) it's not like the, the villain of the movie. (laughs) You know, that's, uh, that's our main Mm -hmm. character. And it's kind of weird how much you kind of get on his side or like stay on his side the whole time um in spite of like how he's like obviously the worst period <laughs> like you know what i mean like yeah, yeah well was it was it uh was it quentin tarantino that said i don't need to like my characters i just need to f- think they're interesting or something like yeah, that yeah yeah exactly exactly uh yeah. like i don't like martin i think he's an you know, he's not like a, I don't know that, I don't know that I like him or I'm rooting for him or whatever, but I do find him interesting. And I do think what his character and what the story speaks to is very interesting. Um, like you said, um, coming out of the tenant that like, there really is kind of an incel narrative going on here and this kind of like problems of modernity and the, and like the type of people it creates, you know? Totally. Totally. I think that's totally true. Um, I think part of what's interesting is his his existence in these two time periods um, where he's got mm-hmm. sort of this yeah, old yeah. country uh, thing and this new country thing and the kind of ways that the old is translated into the new is perverting, you know. The romance of the old is kind of gone, you know, because it's just kind of become this... Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, so there's a there's a juxtaposition between, like the way he feeds now and the way he fed then, right? Yeah. yeah. Like in, in, in the early 1900s in the black and white scenes, it's this very kind of romantic vision of like being beckoned by a woman by candlelight into a mansion and up the stairs and seduced and into the bedroom and whatever. And then that's juxtaposed with him like wearing all black and sneaking into a house and like putting a needle in someone to drug them and make them go to sleep. Like it's so much more disgusting and like creepy and whatever. Yeah. yeah, Even though like the, the ends are still the same that the means have changed. Totally. Totally. And the thing that I think is interesting is that, Uh, you know, we don't know that the old country stuff exists, you know, like that's that's just sort of his romanticization of, or this narrative that sort of, allows for the behavior that he has now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, similarly, the whole entire idea that he is a vampire at all. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I think that what's interesting is how much that idea is his and how much that idea is pushed on him by his uncle or, or his cousin, I guess. Um, or how much of that I is pushed on him by his old country. Like, you know, just, just this old way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, Sure. Where where the vampirism comes from, I think, is kind of a an open question in this movie, you know? Sure. Like, the vampirism could just represent, like, this kind of idea of mutation or that, like, every once in a while there's someone born in the family that's just a little weird or that we have this, like, you know, 
um, I guess it's the idea that you would start to describe things that seem so horrific and like uh, hard to understand as magical, right? Um, like he's not a fucked up human being who's been perverted and destroyed. No, he's a vampire. He's a monster. He's uh, it's like creating some kind of like explanation, sort of like you know the reason for religion or God or whatever. That like when there's something that seems so just like horrific or like impossible to wrap your head around that you come up with some kind of fantastical explanation for it to like, you know, make it make, make it sense. okay in yeah. your mind or uh, make it make sense. Exactly. Cause there's basically nothing that really makes sense about Martin. I mean, he needs to drink blood, I guess, but, um, but that's, but that's yeah, based like, on his symptoms that are like, you know, he gets, his symptoms are kind of like akin to like people who have, you know, uh, a gluten deficiency or something like, you know what I mean? He's like, if I, if I, you know, if I don't get my blood, I start to feel slightly, you know, weak. And sometimes my eyes hurt when I look at the sun and I tremble (laughs) and shaky or whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah. Well, don't look directly at the sun. That's probably why your eyes hurt. Like, you know, it's like, it's not that you're a vampire. Mm -hmm. It's just like, these are all, you know, it's like, no, when I eat gluten and I feel this way and I like, you know, get slightly more depressed on Tuesdays and it's like, nah, dude, this is, you know, you've come up with the disease that is just kind of like the fact that you don't feel good, you know? And part of that, mm-hmm. I think, is based on, like, not feeling good in your home, you know? Just, like, not feel, like trying to reduce yourself and trying to fit in with these people and kind of, I think it's kind of connected to the tenant, you know what I mean? In that, like, it's a disease that I think comes out of this sort of, self-hatred sort of thing because like to me i think that what's interesting is that like this vampirism whether it's from the old country whether it's from him whether it's from his family it's not from like other people like it's it's from like at at the most it's from like his family um and it's an idea Mm -hmm. that this family has about what's wrong with this family you know so it's like we are slightly evil and like this is a burden that we have and you are our burden and that's why we need to reduce you and whatever like so that i think is kind of what's interesting it's not it's not i don't know it's something that he does to himself and then like that defines his behavior um or his family does to him and that defines his behavior but it's because of the sort of outsider idea i think um at its Mm -hmm. base yeah 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 I mean, if you totally remove the vampire explanation, there, I mean, we really are just talking about a guy who, like, is repressed, like, in this, in a similar way that um, Tchaikovsky is in The Tenant, right? Yeah. Like, he wants to have sex with women, but, like, he's, you know, his desires are taboo. And he's so not a society, Chad. And he's so not a Chad, dude. He's, so he's a little a bitch boy. And so the way he has to take so he has to take sex instead of like doing the the dance and the game and like wooing a woman in a natural way um and just yeah like the sort of like shame and repression of all that i don't i don't know how like ashamed he is kind of like that's the thing is like martin seems to be a much more banal character than Tchaikovsky. like he actually does seem to be like a little bit more of an empty vessel like really sort of like heartless and just like no but i think that the love interest in that movie kind of starts to give well he starts to he starts to change that's the thing i think this is a tragedy about how like he actually does start to like date that woman 
Right. You know, and he starts to have sex. He starts having sex with her, and he's like, without the blood and whatever. And how... Yeah, with an awake person. With an awake person and without the blood, and how that actually does start to shift, um, like, his relationship to, like, the raping and the drugging and everything. Right. Um, You know, like, he's like, I used to be able to choose them really easily. I used to think they were pretty, but now I can't. Like, what's wrong with me? And... You yeah. know, it's like, oh, you're actually just becoming more healthy. You're right. becoming, like, more of a, a real human being. Um, and, like, yeah, he still kills a couple vagrants and drinks their blood. But that's, like, it's kind of like a, th- you know, it's it's something that's a little bit more impersonal and not about his, like, his, like, weird perversions at that point. It's just, like, a weird need he has to fulfill and he can't do it the way he, like, did before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why that's why I also do think that like this movie connects to the tenant when it comes to like the masculinity and queerness things as well. There's like something about how you know he goes into that house and like the woman's not alone, right? Like she's like cheating on her husband. There's this guy there, and he wasn't expecting this guy to be there. It's such a fun scene, dude. It's an incredible um, scene. And real quick, this is what I'm saying yeah. when I'm saying like that you're on his side. It's not that, like, you're on his side or you're rooting for him, really. But in that scene, you totally kind of just beats-wise, you totally are. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You totally are just like, oh, he's going to get sure, you. No, sure, you get away. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he got him outside. Oh, he's going to, like, you're kind of, you're not like, get him. Yeah, get him, yeah, dude. Yeah. Get him. You're like, oh, shit. Look at him getting away with this. Oh, my God. What a, sorry. But yeah, yeah, as you were saying. <laughs> no, no, totally. Um, but then there's a thing where, like, he ends up feeding on the man, right? Uh, I think he might still... It's really vague, ambiguous, whether he still, like, rapes the woman or whatever. But he says, I'm going to save you because of him. Yeah. Um, and then he goes, and he's like, why were you there? You weren't supposed to be there. But then he drinks his blood. Yeah. And then and then he starts dating the other woman. And from this point forward, it's like his sexuality is much more in question, right? Like, it's like he's not just, like, he can't choose the women anymore. And it's not so easy anymore. And he drank this man's blood. And then he kills a couple of male vagrants and drinks their blood and everything. And there's... Something about that that I think is like there's like there's like a queerness to that where he's becoming so much more confused about his sexuality or what it even is or the difference between his need and his desire and stuff like that. Right, right. That's a really um, good point. And see, what's interesting is like that is a really traditional vampire narrative sort of thing that I didn't even kind of think about being in this movie. But like traditionally, like if you're looking at like the old school you know, just Dracula narratives or whatever. Like there is a lot of queerness there of like Dracula drinking male blood and having, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a lot of that there. Um, But yeah, I didn't even actually process that from that point on, after he gets a taste of the man, (laughs) he keeps drinking male blood. (laughs) It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, But there's that kind of like closeted queerness, like vibes to it as well. You know, he's like, you know, um, like the thing that he's like, it's just a costume, like the idea that you're wearing a costume and that like he's always fronting this different identity than who he really is. Like, like the tagline of the movie on Letterboxd is even like he could be the boy next door. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's this idea that like, you know, the the woman um, that he starts dating, what's her name? Um, Abby, who's kind of like Miss Robinson vibes or yeah, whatever. Yeah, totally. But like totally. A- Abby, like like says like you're so nice and like you know what i mean like you're so gentle you're so nice i really want to hold you mm-hmm. and it's like this thing of like 
the thing of the beta male, you know, like the wolf in sheep's clothing, the uh, Revenge of the Nerds thing, or just kind of like, you know, where on the surface you have this really like gentle and sweet and calm and collected person who seems so trustworthy, but really they're like drugging and raping women. Totally. Um, totally. That, that like, and the idea that he's wearing a costume and all this stuff, uh, and that his whole identity is kind of a, an, an illusion, you know? Totally. Because uh, there is no real magic. He says it so many times. Cause there's no real magic. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he says it so many times. Did you notice that he says everything twice in the movie? No, I didn't. It's like, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, he says like everything twice. Uh, it's almost like he's um, doing an uh, an, in- an incantation or something, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which is a pretty vampire kind of thing. Interesting. Like interesting. You you want you wonder if he's gaslighting people or gaslighting himself or if he really believes it or what you know. But that's right. kind of a vagary, right. you know. But the the idea that he actually has magic tricks and he's into magic and he likes the idea of fooling people is interesting, you know? Totally. Um, totally. I, I also think that it, connect, it connects to that whole, like, the devil's greatest trick is convincing the world that he doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Um, idea sure. Of, like, Martin going around saying that there's no vampires. Um, I think, you know, it, it really depends on how you, you, you take the movie um, and whether he is mm-hmm. a vampire or yeah, not. Sure. And that's something that, you know, actually, I think is open and that allows the movie to then talk about like different like interpretations, you know what I mean? But yeah, I think mm-hmm. that if he is just the devil essentially, then like, yeah, it's interesting that he's going around showing people these tricks and saying, no, no, there is no magic and that sort of thing in order to sort of protect himself um, mm-hmm. and make his uncle or cousin, I guess, think that he's not killing people and there isn't he's wrong this is crazy um even though he knows better Mm -hmm. Um, for sure i think it is it is it is interesting that he knows better too you know it's there's something so weird about that that like he's kind of right in the end and then he kills him (laughs) you know the ending is so hilarious too like it's it's so abrupt and awesome i love the ending it's so abrupt yeah Yeah, i love it so violent (laughs) And it's really tragic and sad yeah, because, yeah, yeah. like, it's, it's a actually failure. a misunderstanding, you know? Like, a- Abby kills herself, but then Kuda thinks he's the one who did it because he always kind of frames yeah. uh, his, his you know, his raping and drugging at, and feeding as a suicide or whatever. He, like, sets it up to look that way. And, like, he actually does, like, listen to Kuda and doesn't, like, feed on anyone in the town and is trying to, and he is, like, warming up to this woman and he is actually transitioning to a possibly healthier way of life. And, like, it's just this mis- misinterpretation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he, he doesn't even give him a chance to speak or anything. He just does it. You know, yep. like, yep. <laughs> just, like, drives a stake right into him. Yep. But, I mean, just like, just like the tenant, man, it's a failure to, a failure to, uh, transition a failure to you know yeah be well, socialized yeah, I mean, you said earlier that they're both kind of immigrant stories but yeah the idea that he literally is from the old country and he's like coming into america or whatever it is and that he has all these like communication issues and he has weird eating habits i think kuda says look how he eats and yeah 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 like He's like he's like working for room and board. Yeah, that's the thing is like that. he doesn't like he doesn't whole, fit like, in. Wearing a costume, he thing. can't get a job here except in these weird like you know 
domestic situations where he's helping out here and there and he has to live with an uncle and all that stuff. And like, that's, that's because of his immigrant status. Like that's, and and that's representative of an immigrant experience. Like these are the same problem. Mm -hmm. Like that's not a problem that most inborn Americans like are going to have where they, you know, can't, I don't know. You know what I mean? He just completely can't integrate into that society. And because of that, he's like kept in this, sort of domestic sphere like helping women with groceries as like his primary job and whatever i don't know mm-hmm. he can't actually be sure. a man in this society the way like the way that trokasi kind of can't be a man in this society you know um nobody will take him seriously or whatever sure. but also just like he doesn't even like have a concept of like how to you know what i mean like he has to live mm-hmm. in somebody else's house and get away with what he does to live in his old country way like He's got this weird dogma that he lives by that comes from, that he's brought with him, you know? I mean, he obviously went through a transition period. It's not, it's not like, it's not like when he was in the old country, um, he was able to get away with it either. Like he literally gets chased by a lynch mob after drinking that woman's blood and stuff. So like, I think that was his cousin, right? I think it's supposed to be, I don't know. I I thought that the girl who was beckoning him was also like a cousin of his back in the day or something maybe and that that's, this new that's girl who was sure there that i couldn't follow yeah I, th- I thought there was some connection there that maybe there might be some incestuous thing going on because there definitely is some of that with his with the sexual tension with his cousin slash niece or whatever in the house um that's true yeah there's a bit of that she's interesting because she doesn't actually really believe any of the stories right yeah so yeah she's like and martin but doesn't he, want her martin to believe does tell her that he's 84 years old yeah he you does know, he does he like says, you know, I'm, yeah, I drink blood. I'm 84 years old, but there's no magic. Yeah, and she's like, you should see a psychiatrist, or you should be in a hospital. <laughs> he's like, it'd be too <laughs> yeah, hard exactly. for me there. He's like, um, but that yeah, that won't work for me there. Yeah, exactly. But I think that I think that the idea of his, you know, inability to make relationships outside of this family, and like the fact that his uncle or his cousin um, doesn't want him to talk to people at like talk to the, you know, anybody in the family or do anything and stay in his room and be ashamed of himself and all this stuff. Like, and the fact that he can't conceive of anything better, like keeps him in this place where he's just like, well, he can't actually date anybody. Like, you know what I mean? Like he is just like an incel. He can like hardly leave the house except to do like this menial work that like he can, you know, anybody, any retard can do like, you know what I mean? And, like, Mm -hmm. how does he get a relationship? Like, maybe with some, like, really sad, fucked up housewife or something that's, like, not going to end well for him. Like, and that's not even his fault. Like, you know what I mean? But that's really just because he's not socialized to go out and date. And he's not socialized to, like, go out and get a job or do things or anything. And that's all because he has this outsider status. And it's, like, that that makes him perverse like he still has to have these desires he still has to fulfill these sexual urges and this whatever and how does he do it like in that situation he's like not he doesn't have any other outlet and that's like yeah very similar to trolkowski like i think there's like no outlet yeah, yeah you know um but i think there is i think there is something about the fact that he gets chased by a lynch mob and stuff that is saying like it's not necessarily that this was ever okay it's just that, like, in the past, there was more of a romanticism to it or something. Like, that, like, I don't know. It, it's a very weird kind of, like, nuanced thing because, like, you can't really tell 
whether or not the woman does want to be fed on who's beckoning him with the candlelight. Right. Like, she's beckoning him up to the bedroom or whatever. But then it kind of just cuts to him feeding on her and whatever. Right. And it's like, it's like open interpretation whether she wanted to be fed on or have sex or whatever it is. And that maybe he, like, took a liberty that she wasn't expecting or something like that. Right. But there definitely is a thing where, like, regardless of the reality, his interpretation of feeding at that point is something more romantic and something where, like, there's slightly more acceptance of what he is and stuff like that. I think even, like, when he first enters the train car in the beginning, there's, like, a quick shot of, like, a, like a black and white, the woman, like, welcoming him with open arms. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, the idea that, like, he wishes he could enter the room and just be welcomed with open arms. Exactly. You know, and whatever, exactly. but, but really it's, like... And this is something like, that he does because he doesn't have the other option like he doesn't have the ability to do it with mm-hmm. an awake person um yeah exactly. and this removes all the anxiety and all the pressure of all of that and whatever um but mm-hmm. i think it's interesting that he was born in um 1892 okay and so that means that his enti- that means like his entire family was like born and raised during the industrial revolution when you kind of talk about like the problems of modernity. This might be a little bit of a stretch or whatever, but like, I think the problems of my modernity are a big topic of both these movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's just, it's inter- it's interesting that that's where his life begins is kind of at the tail end of the industrial revolution. And that, that like his, his parents and his grandparents were all like grew up during the formulation of that transition period as well. Yeah. From the old world to the new world. Well, this is also um, taking place in Pittsburgh, or you know, right outside of Pittsburgh, in a dead, you sure, know, yeah, steel town. Steel town. Yeah. Well, I mean, not, but like mm-hmm. one that's you know full of dead, you know, businesses and houses with shuttered windows and stuff. Like it's it's an empty, dying town that used to be a booming industry. Um, I think that that's mm-hmm. kind of interesting too, and it's totally connected to this idea of the industrial revolution, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah and like the dehumanizing effects of the modern world and what it does to people, which, like I said before, even Chaplin was talking about in modern times, like in the early 20th century. Totally, like, totally. Um, it's uh, it's just a thing. Yeah, but I think that, I think in that <clears throat> movie connecting that Chaplin sort of modern times thing to sort of an incel narrative or like a Hikikomori narrative or something, I think is really interesting because like I think that you can sure. look at that you know, scene is of what happened in the old country as like, and I think it was his cousin, but I don't really remember, um, as like Mm -hmm. a, basically like a rape scenario, right. Or like a scenario in which like something happened that was like a romantic situation that he then was like shamed for something. He didn't know that he was not supposed to, or, or that whatever, whatever happened there is like a trauma that then contributes to, you know, his continued playing out of that similar sort of narrative uh but in but in, with an attempt to take control of the narrative sort of thing there you um, go that that makes sense that being the moment where like his trauma surrounding his uh his desires formed yeah because because that he's a vampire yeah yeah he's innocent like he's innocent like in maybe he moment. was being seduced by a cousin and had sex mm-hmm. with her or whatever and then like was like oh fuck like this was a rape or somebody told him it was a rape or they got caught and it was a thing, or maybe he killed her or something like they did in the thing. Like who, who knows? But that situation of like, this felt like it was beckoning. And then I did something horrible and like that, that contributing to, to kind of these future scenarios, I think 
is the, his psychological key. Mm-hmm. And he and like he also says that he wanted to get caught. Like there's like a part of him that wants to get caught. Right. That the like, key. He, He's like turned on by the chase to some degree. I mean, he's even there's even this whole thing like where like about halfway through the movie you start hearing like his internal monologue I think is like always a part of the movie, which is really interesting because it's kind of the unreliable narrator and the kind of like is he gaslighting himself or like what's the deal with his you know but he does start telling a story his story to a radio DJ or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah. The internal the internal monologue becomes a thing where he's like doing a confessional to like a radio DJ. Um, and that's not, it's not like, you know what I mean? It's, it's not like, it's one of those really surreal things where you're not really sure it's happening or not. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And like, it, it's really bizarre. And there's like those weird, like delays happening whenever he's on the phone. Yeah, totally. Totally. Cause you can that's hear it through the radio and your phone. Like, like, feedback delays are happening in this movie a lot with all the sounds with like the fact that he says everything twice with the phone there's like a lot of feedback delay stuff right right interesting um, i'm not sure what that's all about no, i mean the, um, these these like, you know rapes are also a, just like a repetition of a previous trauma too there's some repetition thing happening mm-hmm. definitely um and then, like, where does a delay happen in in a big cavern in an empty vessel? You know, like in a right, right, right kind of empty space echo. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Um, I mean, so I, I'm pretty sure I've I've heard before that this is Romero's favorite movie of his. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So I, I like I I always feel like there are so many layers to this that you know I'm I'm not. <laughs> completely picking up on all the time yeah yeah there's a lot going on in this movie but i think i think it is one i I don't know that it's one of those things where every choice is like super specific it's it's like it holds ambiguity kind of like the tenant does you know right the tenant feels a little bit more exacting in its imagery and stuff like that but i i do think you know just based on like other romero works and like night of the living dead is an incredibly like smart social satire that has like a lot to say, you know? Right. Right. So it's like, you can't really come to the Martin thinking that it's like just a sort of like boilerplate, like I'm just doing a realistic vampire movie kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it is saying stuff, but holds enough ambiguity and weirdness that you can read it different ways. Kind of like, well, just like night of the living dead. You can see, just like Night of the Living Dead and yeah, yeah, uh, you know whatever. Um, but I was afraid. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, totally. I don't know. It's I I don't know. Like I guess you know to, to like the we we kind of went over all these themes already in you know in talking about the tenant, and so like we'd kind of just be repeating ourselves here. But I do think. The immigrant thing, the masculinity and queerness thing, the modernity angle, like all this stuff applies to both of them, uh, despite all the ambiguities. Uh, I like, um, there's like a scene where he's like laying in the grass with Abby and she she says like, I wish I could be like you or I wish I could have what you have. And he says, some people think it's catching. And she's like, give it to me. (laughs) Right, right. This idea that, like, actually what he is is becoming more prevalent and that, like, there are people like him and they hide in the shadows and all this stuff. 
right. what, was, what was the other thing that oh yeah kuda when when kuda is like explaining the family lineage to his his uh his granddaughter like i'll just like i think i read i think i've written down here but he says like he says uh do you believe God's whole world runs by the laws of the few sciences we have been able to discover? No, there is more, but people are satisfied. They know so much, they think they know all, and that makes it easy for Nosferatu. That makes it easy for all the devils. Exactly, because the devil's greatest trick is convincing the world he doesn't exist. Exactly. So there, that's always the ambiguity of Martin, is the thing of whether or not he's, like, gaslighting himself, and that, like... The thing of like, is he actually just a sick human or is he really like a monster who's trying to convince people he's a sick human or right, something right. or like, I don't know that like he's a, like maybe like a, a victim and blah, blah, blah. And all these things. Uh, another, another thing I, I like, another thing I sort of picked up on that would also kind of be a little bit of a stretch, but, um, I kind of, when I was thinking about like how George A. Romero, his main character in Night of the Living Dead as a black man, um, and how like, like blackness and the position of the black person in society was kind of a big topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Martin of uh, Night, uh, ends Night of up, the Living Dead ends up with that gang violence at the end, right? Yeah. So there, there so there's there's a juxtaposition between Martin, like like I said earlier, he's a kind, sweet, gentle soul. But really, he's raping women and drugging them. And there's a juxtaposition between that and these black men who are harassing women who are, like, leaving the grocery store. They're, like, putting the groceries in their car and they're, like, catcalling and whatever. Yeah. Um, There's an interesting, like, juxtaposition there because then you can kind of say, well, okay, maybe, like, deep down they're actually, like, not bad people. (laughs) Right, right. Like, they might be catcalling and all this stuff. Yeah, like they might be sweet guys or whatever. No, I mean that's that's they have a masculine outlet. You know what I mean? They have, they have they a have, masculine outlet. They exactly. They have some which, way to express that masculinity that's not being perverted because they can just kind of do it in the streets and be unashamed. Yep, yep. Whereas Martin, like Scope yeah, in the Tenant, exactly, exactly, totally, dude, totally. Yeah. Right. But I also think I also think the juxtaposition when you think about that juxtaposition and then you compare it to like the romantic rape in the early uh, 1900s mm-hmm. that like, if you just see him as a black guy, that kind of all like, you know what I mean? Not exactly. <laughs> like, he's like a, he's a, he's a black guy who gets back into a house and rapes a white woman and then gets chased by a lynch mob. And like that lynch mob gets uh, juxtaposed with the modern day police who are chasing him while he's wearing all black after like a home invasion, uh, uh, <laughs> like I don't know. Yeah, dude. No, like, no, no, totally. I, I think... And then I mean that completely works. That completely works. Like all the way through. I mean, you could say it is an immigrant thing, but then like he's he's what type of immigrant? One that's brought in and then like had to stay in this house with this person and do the job that this person got for him. <laughs> like you know what I mean? He's like essentially yeah, he's, he's a, an indentured servant, or he's you know a <laughs> yeah. slave. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> So I kind of think that's there. Uh, no, that's totally that. That's, a, that's like, a great one. I think if you if you if you made Martin a black guy, it would be really problematic, right? It's like, oh yeah, they do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that's true. That's, <laughs> yeah. Ah oh, man, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. It's yeah. It was the mid seventies? These these black guys and these white women, you know. 
it's, mm-hmm. it's problematic. <laughs> it's For a, sure. That's an interesting, but I, yeah, great take. I really like that. Uh, um, what about what about the tenant? You think uh, you think Tchaikovsky's black? <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't think that's I don't think that's there. I mean, Chappelle yeah, Chappelle one. said if you look at any Hollywood guy, they're going to make him wear women's clothes. Any any black guy in Hollywood, they make him wear women's clothes, you know. No, you actually that is true. Um, <laughs> Before I don't they think, uh, I'm not sure how prevalent that was in the 70s though. I don't know. It might have been when it started. Get the black guys in the might women's clothes before mm-hmm. you fake their death. Their suit, you know. It's <laughs> Maybe there's that whole thing. Oh, right, we, have to, we have to get out of this hole. We have to get out of this hole. <laughs> so back, back to, back to the, uh, the Barton, though. Um, the, the other thing that I was just thinking about recently watching this was like, what did you say? This is 77? Like, this is before Halloween. yeah. Um, as far as the slasher, you know, situation. This is like, you know. Are you sure it's, it's before Halloween? Yeah, Halloween's like the, like later, later that like, it, it's a year yeah, later. Yeah, you're right. It's a year later. I think. I think it's 78. Mm-hmm. No, oh, yeah, I, man. Okay. Yeah. Halloween. This is actually like uh I think also like when I was talking to my partner about this movie, she's like, it's it sounds like a really early version of something that's been that got really popular not too long ago, which is like the anti hero story. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, um which is not which is like becoming less popular now. Um but there was like a brief period of time when like people were really obsessed with stories about bad people. Yeah, the 70s. just do terrible things and yeah, yeah. Once we got yeah. out of Vietnam, well, no, even that's... like no, like well, well, I'm talking about Breaking Bad. Oh yeah, that Mad too. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Just like getting into like that that period of time where like the anti-hero was just really big and like there will be blood and whatever. And, like people were really getting behind the like a like you know the depiction of a you know morally ambigu- ambiguous character or whatever. Totally. Uh, I mean, we talked about how, like, yeah, you can't, like, do that in a Hollywood movie at this point. Like, if you want to have, like, a character that you want to root for and stuff like that. But, but they, I, mean, I think they there find, is they a find kind ways of, like, perverted to make that interest. More safe. Like, Breaking Bad is, like, a thousand yeah, yeah. times more safe than Martin. Like, if, if the first no, scene no, of Breaking totally Bad right. I mean, had, been, had been him drugging and raping, like, and slowly undressing a woman and putting her naked dead body on top of it, like, you know, nobody's going to get behind that anti-hero, you know what I mean? It's like, he's not even no, really an anti-hero. Absolutely. Like, he's hardly a hero, like, but... Mm-hmm. But he kind of is. Like you do get behind him. It is. It is an anti-hero thing. I totally agree. Um, I mean, he he like even though it's not like scene one, it's like within the first season, Walter White does like pretty irredeemable things. Yeah. Oh, totally. You know, totally. like letting Jesse's girlfriend die and choke on her vomit or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like the first big one. Yeah. But and anyway, kind of a kind of a side note, but like just I, I do think this movie is sort of ahead, man. Like I think this movie does a lot of things that like like uh became part of the language no totally you know? but I, I also i really think that slasher thing is like it's right yeah, ahead the of the curve thing, on that exactly, like yeah. if we're talking about like the mm-hmm. explosion of things that happened after halloween is like yeah those were all really derivative of halloween much more so than martin but like martin did a way cooler thing before that which is like make the movie that's just about michael myers <laughs> like, you know what i mean it's like yeah because michael a, myers is not really a character yeah yeah, yeah. it's like the, the the halloween thing and the halloween derivatives all the slashers like yeah they don't really have the martin thing going on but like that home invasion sequence um where yeah mm-hmm. he breaks in and the guy's there and the 
you know, wife's like, I don't know him. That's such an incredible turn. But the guy's sitting there and he's like, okay, I can explain. And she's like, no, no, I don't, like, know, I don't him. know him. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, what he's the like, wait, fuck? That's <laughs> like, that's an incredible that turn. Confu- that right. confusion of not knowing what's happening at all. Just like, wait, what the fuck yeah. is happening? Like, before you know it, he already has the needle in him and stuff. And he's just like, you just shot me with something. Yeah. You have to call the police. You're not supposed to be here. We can't call the police. You know, it's just like. But Such the, an incredible scenario. But the joy <laughs> like, of watching that, like the, the fun of that scene, is exactly the fun of all of the deaths in Halloween and all the other slashes. It's the same thing. It's just that like the rest of the movie isn't. But like exactly. that did the best of the slashers stuff already, just in one scene. You know, it's kind mm-hmm. of like the height yeah, yeah. of the that genre. Is like I, I can't I can't like imagine a better home invasion scene than that. Honestly, like are any of the deaths in Halloween more fun than? that or any like even in honestly like the scream franchise or anything like that scene is so much fun that turn when he's when she (laughs) says i don't know him is like so fun and and then like him on the phone and shit and then getting more like kind of wasted and not being able to figure it out and it's it's a it's so much fun dude it's hilarious like i mean it's it's terrifying fun or more fun than yeah uh, many of similar kinds of sequences in movies like but like, I feel like, like, I, like I haven't I, I seen think, an earlier one than that that I can remember, except like Clockwork Orange. The, you know, like that's maybe you yeah, know, yeah, that's a home invasion scene. There's there's sure. some I guess of that, but the the thrill of the hunt, you know what I mean? That that goes on in Martin and mm-hmm. is in all of the slasher movies. I I can't imagine an earlier one than that than that home invasion sequence. That seems to me to be like yeah. a real, really creative. It was a lot thing harder to think before of. the needles. <laughs> the needles made it easier. Yep, yep. But yeah, I don't know. There's, it, it's 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 a surprisingly entertaining movie. Yeah, and it's got a lot of like character and vibe. It really, um, it really doesn't get that unpleasant, as like crazy as no. it is. It like, and the thing is, you you were saying you were gonna you were gonna watch it with uh, with the woman. <laughs> But because you were like, oh, we're going to watch one of them tonight. I was thinking we were going to watch Martin. I was like, ah, maybe, maybe start with the tenant. That might be more like, you know what I mean? Just because like, I feel like, you know, putting on a movie and just having it be about just like raping women for an hour and a half is like so unpleasant. But like when you actually watch it, it's like not unpleasant. Like it's actually like so much fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually, it's actually like when 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 she starts saying like you stupid, when she says like you dirty rapist or whatever. I forgot like what she specifically says, but yeah, she's yeah, like yeah. the way she talks back to him is kind of hilarious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that. And was, it also is like really, you know, it's not an insanely graphic movie. It never actually visually depicts rape or anything. Like, I mean, you just watch them wrestle. You know, right, right. Like he he puts the needle in her and then he has to wrestle her until she like falls asleep and. It's, it's kind of just like the many slowly undresses her and stuff, and then places well, yeah, her body the, on the, top. Yeah, there's the, there's the slow undressing, but but like I actually wasn't positive he was raping until he admits to it later. Right, right. If know? there's no thrusting, because it's not because it's not graphically depicted yeah. in that way. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it could be a lot more unpleasant with him just like humping like limp bodies that are like knocking up against walls. And j- like, yeah, it could be really hard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's that's not. Like, it's actually, that's like what. That's what. Uh, that's like what Gaspar Noé would do. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the the irreversible of <laughs> of Martin, which would not be a yeah, fun yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, Irreversible's not. Irreversible's kind of fun. fun. <laughs> Honestly, like that's all of Gaspar's that's, movies that give you enough distance. Not, that that scene's not fun. Yeah, but. it gives you enough distance that you know he's trolling. I think. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's meant to be, and I think it's meant to be heart racingly upset. I'm I'm you know? I'm due and for another I'm due for another watch on that. I'm due for another watch on that. Yeah. So I I, but like, I mean believe, I think I'll, most of your I think most of your Irreversible is really fun. Like it's such a I don't know. Why are we talking about Irreversible? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we should probably um, wrap it up. We're going almost two hours. But you have anything more you want to touch on for Martin or the tenant? No, but back to Irreversible. Thoughts? <laughs> okay, so back to Irreversible. No, nah, no. Nah, We're going to tag this one on. <laughs> Just throw in Irreversible it's on the end. It's backwards. It's a backwards story. Yep. It's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Backwards. Irreversible really is incredible, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so is so is pretty much all Gaspar Noé. I'm trying to do the uh, the reversed irreversible. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about Gaspar Noé at some point. Yeah, <clears throat> some of his movies. But yeah, anything else on yeah, Martin? Man, anything I else really, on uh, the Tenant that we've yeah I, avoided? I really, in, I, really uh, I really enjoy both of these movies. Um, is it weird that I? Thought Roman Polanski was really cute <laughs> as a woman. No, as a man. Oh, oh, okay, okay. I feel like I feel like uh, I can kind of see like what Sharon Tate saw in him. Yeah, he's an attractive you know, like, guy. He, he's, he's an attractive guy. He's an. She's a I think, cute. I, you know, I think that people. It's hard to say that nowadays. You know, but I think that at the time, everybody knew that he was an attractive guy. It was a part of the. You know, he was. I don't know, a lead actor guy. It's refreshing to have a conversation about a Polanski movie where you don't need to bring up fucking Polanski's shit. Like, ugh. Yeah. It's like you go to the reviews for, like, like, ha- like most of the reviews are the are just like, yeah. I couldn't watch this movie because of Polanski. I couldn't watch this movie because of Polanski's stupid face and blah, blah, blah. You know? Yeah. It's like rapists, like, blah. It's like, okay, man, uh, whatever. Then we're not talking about anything. But back to how attractive Polanski is. I think that he looks like he's a very he's a very like you know cute womanly looking guy you know what I mean, but in yeah, yeah, in the sure. tenant I think that he looks the most like masculine and manly when he's dressed as a woman. Like it's like it's like when he puts on a dress you're like oh shit he's got kind of big shoulders <laughs> like you know what I mean he's kind of like he's got like the body of like a you man kind of see whereas like when now, he's wearing yeah. like a suit you're kind mm-hmm. of like oh what a womanly guy like he's you know just like a cute little like short womanly little guy but then in a dress is like oh no it's he's like kind of like the, a hairy the, fucking big man who's in a dress <laughs> like and it doesn't mm-hmm. fit like I don't know the female costume brings out the male characteristics and vice versa. Yeah, it like exaggerates them because they don't, yeah, fit with the costume. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. The costume. Yep. Just like Martin. Well, mm-hmm. I like it. Well, I highly recommend these two movies to anyone who hasn't seen them, unless you get outraged in a superficial way about things. But Yeah, but it's actually not too many people have seen these movies. It's They're, they're you know... They're relatively, I mean, Martin's getting a little more traction because they just came out with a nice 4K of it after it being, you know, unavailable for many, many years. Um, but Yeah, I had to watch it on YouTube. But The Tenant, like, that's I mean, not, nobody's, <laughs> nobody's bringing that back. You know what I mean? <laughs> that Nobody's pushing yeah, to bring back yeah, Polanski. It's, it's kind of nobody's shame, pushing man. to bring back Polanski as a leading man. And definitely nobody's trying to pull off, like, bring back Polanski as a trans leading man. <laughs> 
character. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, there's basically just like it's too easy to see what kind of problems people will have with the tenant when you watch it. But it's like I don't give a shit. Yeah, but I thought it was a really interesting movie. Yeah, yeah, gotta take the art for what it is. But um. Uh, I guess, like, actually, one thing about Martin is, like, I, I love Romero's cameo as the priest. Oh, yeah, yeah. The priest, like, he's just obsessed scene. with wine I, and money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He doesn't believe in magic either. And he's, and, he's like, and he's, like, laughing about the idea of vampires and exorcism and everything. He's yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. saw The Exorcist. It was really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. And then they bring in the real exorcist who's, like, just some fucking guy who's just, like, doing his job. He's just, like... All right, and then the devil did this and that, and you do the blah de blah, and then like he's reading it. That like was the it's, thing we uh, didn't talk about was the exorcism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the way the way he goes through that is so funny and <laughs> so like work. That's a day. another thing. No, yeah, totally. It's really just like but not like uh, go through the motions, kind yeah. of like boring. Yeah. Um, but that being juxtaposed with the exorcism they tried to do on him in the past, right? right? right. That's another juxtaposition. Right. Where basically they're like the same thing, but like there's just a little bit more like passion and belief. Right. And like to the one in the past, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely. Um, and it's more convincing in some, for some reason. It has It has something. I mean, and it's also that's... Yeah that's the trauma that he's getting from this one is like just the flashback to the old one. It's not that this on its own has any power, but it's that it's connected to this fantasy that he has of the past or this real experience that he has of the past, depending on your interpretation. But it's because he has this belief that they can be triggered. Yeah. Which is also, I guess a little bit like the clockwork orange, like trauma thing or like having this trauma programmed into you from a past time that's now like coming back up or whatever totally totally Um, it's really weird that both of these movies have such a connection to clockwork orange actually Um, there's there's a lot of kubrickian kubrick Kubrick is so universal um yeah Uh, i guess a minor detail i noticed was like that like kuda kuda um Starts out the movie wearing all white, but like transitions to wearing all black in the second half. Okay. Okay. Just a detail. I think the first time you see him in all black is like the exorcism scene. In solidarity with the Black Martin? Yeah, with the Black Martin. I don't know. Interesting. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll leave it, we'll leave it with, um, Martin's kind of final musing, which is, I shouldn't, have friends. You don't need all that, the ladies. In real life, you can't get people to do what you want. <laughs> oh, man. You, you get used to things. It gets easier. And then he gets a stake driven into him. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly sad. Yeah. It's, like, really depressing. Yeah. It is. It is. Something that Shalkasi could have said, too. Mm-hmm. For sure, man. All right, well. Should we wrap it up? Yeah, sound good. All right, brother. Until next time, see you at the party. Until next time.